Look at his lip. Somebody threw a fucking tire chain, hit him right in the mouth. Scratches made by human fingernails. This kid has taken a savage beating. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Tyner goes right to King Flaxenfeld. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. Welcome back to returning listeners and welcome aboard to the new listeners. This is number 50, episode number 50, but it's the actual, uh, it's actually episode 67. Uh, So, It's numbered episode 50, which I guess would be a milestone if I wasn't on actual episode 67. But um, there's 66 other episodes before this one, uh, and there's 49 other numbered episodes. So so if you're new, welcome aboard. Uh, This is really what the show is about. It's the nuts and bolts of the show. It's player interviews, and... um, I'm happy to bring them to you, all Islander enforcer related, whether it's guys who played in the show or played in the minors or were drafted by them, uh, work for them, whatever it is. Uh, if they have some connection to the Islanders and they drop the gloves, you'll hear them here, and I will do my best to bring as many interviews to you as possible. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for coming back. You know what the show's all about, and uh, you guys both new and returning listeners are what makes the show go round and um, really give me the energy to keep going. I really appreciate all the feedback. Um, tremendous amount of feedback I received uh, this last week on uh, the two-part Drew Fatta interview uh, that I did. Well, that I did with Drew. Uh, really, really appreciate the feedback. Uh, I had a few people say they really didn't know too much about him, uh, but uh, he seems like a great guy and, and he thought he was really personable, had a good sense of humor. And, uh, so, so, uh, I was happy to hear that. I'm always happy to introduce, uh, players to the public who may, you may not know a lot about them. Um, and that really made me happy because, uh, I would say maybe 60 to 70% of the feedback were from people who knew, knew who Drew was, but didn't know all a whole lot about him. 
and uh, and that made me happy. And and I mean, if you listen to the episodes, Drew was awesome. I, I mean, I'm so happy he agreed to do the show. Uh, so uh, so if you haven't heard those, definitely go back and listen to them. I'm very proud of the interview, uh, just like I'm proud of all my other shows. So uh, just a few things to touch on here. If you're listening for the first time, or if you're a returning listener again and you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, here's a good example why. Right now, it is Saturday night, May 8th. By the way, happy birthday to Matt Martin. 32 years old today. Doesn't look a day over 22. May 8th, happy birthday, Maddie Martin. But it's Saturday night, May 8th. You are potentially listening to this on Sunday, May 9th. And you're listening to this on Sunday if you're a subscriber, because chances are this won't hit your platform until Monday if you're not a subscriber. So if you subscribe to the show, you will get the content as soon as I upload it. Uh, That would probably be the primary advantage of subscription. The other thing is it's free. There's no Patreon here. There's no nothing here. Subscription fee. Fee, fee, easy for me to say, free content, and you get it earlier just by hitting one button, subscribe. Do it, you won't be sorry. Also, if you have a chance, if you could like the show, rate the show, review the show, all that stuff uh, gives the show a higher profile. It'll appear in more searches, and um, it'll show up, you know, hockey, hockey fights, whatever it is. So um, so anything that uh, you have time to do out of what I just asked, that would be great. I appreciate it. Social media. Two Twitter accounts at Joe underscore Lozito and at Kali Sin Bin Pod. Joe Lozito is my personal Twitter. Kali Sin Bin Pod is the show Twitter. Um, as I always say, follow me. I'll follow you back. Lately on the personal Twitter, I've been getting uh, a lot of new followers from what appears to be uh, third world countries. Uh, I'm going to guess they're not real people, uh, but you never know. You never know. But uh, if you're a human being, I'll follow you back. If uh, you may be a bot or questionable uh, the authenticity of your existence, probably not. But uh, as long as you're a human being, I'll definitely follow you back. And uh, by you following my show account, if you have anything, any sort of content of any manner that you put out uh, and you'd like me to support that, I will do the same. So uh, just let me know. Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast, Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast, all the same content that you get on the Coliseum bin pod Twitter page, all Islander enforcer related stuff, pictures, birthdays, fights, um, little witty anecdotes, uh, penalty minute fighting major, major rankings, uh, all sorts of good stuff there. Like I always say, if you're, if you're someone who enjoys this content, you probably will enjoy the, uh, show social media, um, accounts. So, uh, and like I said, you know, follow me, like it, whatever, and uh, I will do the same in kind. Now, tomorrow is mother's day or today, if you're listening to it on Sunday, it's a little too late to get that special mom in your life Coliseum Chronicles merchandise, but they may have a birthday coming up, um, anniversary, whatever it is, definitely check out my uh, Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise pages. Uh, there's two pages. Unfortunately, I can't merge 
both of them. So there are two separate pages. There is a page for the uh, original logo and a page for the alternate logo. Please check out both of those. And I used to give the address, but uh, there's no reason to. Just scroll down a little bit uh, in the episode description of this very episode, and you'll see a link for the classic uh, logo, and then you'll see another link for the alternate logo. And as I always do, listener-exclusive discount. This week, the discount code is DALMAN20, D-A-L-L-M-A-N-2-0. An homage to today's guest, Rod Dalman. So use code DALMAN20 for the next week. Get 20% off any and all items in either of the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise store. And when you go to that store, you're going to see my logo. You're going to see both logos done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. You can get him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or via loudegg.com. Joe is amazing. He's an amazing artist. And uh, if you hire him, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. And something I posted this week that is not available yet. um, I went out and I saw it it came across my timeline, uh, custom pucks. So I made some pucks this week. Well, I ordered them last week. They arrived this week with both logos and they came out, came out really good. So um, I'm going to order some more and those would be available through me. If anyone's interested, just let me know. probably be 10 bucks 12 bucks plus shipping uh i have to just check again how much they cost me to make i'm not going to make you know make much money off these i'm not looking to make any money but if anyone's interested they'll probably be anywhere from 10 to 12 bucks plus shipping so uh if anyone's interested again uh it always amazes me that uh some of you people out there actually are interested in the stuff it's very humbling but uh i'll get back to you on the pucks but if you're interested, definitely uh, check out the social media pages because I posted them there. And uh, I'm going to order some more this week and I'll have some available for sale. Uh, a few other podcasts I want to tell you about. Fourth Line Voice podcast with my friend Darren from Saskatoon. The original Enforcer podcast, Fourth Line Voice. Darren is up well over 100 episodes. His latest episode was a good one. Uh, Curtis Swanson's top five toughest opponents and the cool thing about that is uh they're all from the uh, quebec league the famed lneh uh and there are some animals in that league and curtis just seems like a really mellow guy really cool guy and uh, he goes into some detail on uh on these and it's top five guys but they talk about a bunch of other guys so uh, i would definitely encourage you to not only check out that episode but go into darren's back catalog uh, he's interviewed uh, a veritable who's who in the enforcer world and um darren um the the research he puts in uh i know sometimes him and i mimic each other when we talk about how frustrated we get with uh with some of the guys if if things don't pan out because of the amount of research we do and um darren puts in a tremendous amount of research uh and uh, honestly he's very good at what he does he, he wouldn't still be doing this and he wouldn't be o- well over 100 episodes if he sucked at it so um uh, you know, look, he's, I, I've, I've been friends with him a very long time and, uh, he's not as old as me and he should respect his elders. And, um, you know, he usually has a funny anecdote or joke about my age, which is fine because I love it. Um, but, uh, no, this is uh, stupid. I'm getting away from it here. Fourth line voice podcast, definitely give it a listen and then hit that, uh, tab where it says, uh, other episodes and just scroll down and see 
the amount of guys that he's interviewed, then uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, also, oh, and by the way, his Sunday episodes, which I dubbed Shit Show Sundays, this one here for uh, May 9th should be a good one. Uh, he's going to do what I was going. He's going to do what I planned on doing. He was going to do it anyway. It's not that he's doing it because I didn't. Uh, but I planned on doing a midweek episode about the whole Capitals Rangers thing. And then I just I'll get into that later. But I am sure that his shit, shit show Sunday episode for today tomorrow may 9th whenever it is you're listening to it will be worth the price of admission because i know he's got some thoughts on it definitely do not miss that definitely i promise you i love his sunday episodes don't miss it uh another podcast by my buddy uh bobby longgrass up in ontario um Bobby does these quick, short episodes, uh, anywhere from, say, 8, 9 minutes to 15, 20 minutes. And uh, he'll focus on uh, the Canadians, his team, the Leafs, the Senators, uh, talks a little bit about gambling. Um, he was uh, talking about uh, betting on the UFC. He bets on the combat sports. And um, he didn't know that there was a UFC tonight, apparently. I saw a post of his on Facebook earlier. But I believe he found out, and I hope he bet on... Belmore kickboxing zone, Gregor Gillespie, who scored a second round finish tonight. Uh, shaky first round for Gregor, but second round was utter and complete domination. Uh, second round, he looked great. Uh, big win for Gregor, big win for Belmore kickboxing, and the best coach in the business, Keith Trimble. I'm so pumped for those guys. So hopefully Bobby bet on Gregor the gift Gillespie, but definitely check out Bobby's shows. Uh, he puts them out every Monday, and I think some some weeks he does uh, he does more than one. But uh, definitely, um, you know, check out the Bucket Drop podcast with Bobby Longgrass. And with uh, there was a lot of stuff going on this week, but one of the bigger things that was announced this week, the Five for Fighting podcast will be back much sooner than anticipated. Uh, Alec had, uh, you know, like I said a few episodes ago, Alec stopped doing the show. He's got a lot of real life stuff going on, you know, with work and his girl and houses and whatever. Uh, so stuff like this podcast business sometimes takes a backseat, but he did tweet out earlier this week that there are going to be some changes. He's moving and, uh, I don't know if it's closer to work or whatever the situation is. Uh, he'll be able to get back to the podcasting industry and we are all better for it. So, um, Stay tuned. I will definitely announce when uh, a new edition of the Five for Fighting podcast will be available. But feel free to take this time to go back into his back catalog. Uh, Alec has had some very, very good guests, uh, very heavily involved in the Quebec Senior League, which uh, I certainly can't hold a candle to when guys like Alec and Darren talk about that. I, I am a complete amateur when it comes to that league compared to those guys. So, uh, keep an eye out. And Alec, uh, I think a day or so ago, celebrated uh, three months being sober. So uh, I know that's not an easy thing. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm twice your age or so, so I can say I'm proud of you. Uh, very proud to hear that, Alec. Um, you know, keep up the good work. I know every day is a battle, uh, but you got a lot of people behind you rooting for you. So keep up the good work. Also, Alec has the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Check that out. That's where Darren gets a lot of his uh, material for his Sunday Shit Show episodes. And he also has an LNAH jersey and equipment page. Check that out. Follow both those pages. And again, I neglected to say, Darren, fourth line voice um, YouTube page. 
If you've watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it is on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube page. I believe he is now over 2,500 fight videos on there. You know you've already been on there, but go back. Go down the rabbit hole. You, you know you want to. Just put in a fighter's name. Just watch him. Lots of good stuff on there. Definitely check out that stuff. Now, before we get on to the hockey and other business, I want to bring something to your attention. Every day on Twitter, I post about my friend Steve. He's doing a GoFundMe. Uh, fight fans and enforcers alike used to utilize the Drop Your Gloves fight card page. Had uh, detailed listings of anyone and everyone's fight card along with highlights. Well, the owner of that page decided that he didn't want to be bothered with it anymore. And uh, not only that, he didn't want to have anyone else take it over. He didn't want to sell it to anyone. I've heard, uh, I was going to say I heard mixed reviews about this guy, but mixed reviews would imply that I've heard good things. I don't know him from Adam. I just know what I've heard. Nothing that I've heard is complimentary. So Steve, who I've dubbed the Rain Man of hockey fight fans, wants to rebuild a bigger, better, better drop your gloves. There is a GoFundMe now. Steve put in the research. He went to a website guy. I don't know exactly who, but they told him it would cost about $10,000 for what Steve wants to build. Almost halfway there. If you're able to donate anything, a dollar, $5, $20, please do. But like I said last week, I understand times are tough. I've been out of work for uh, almost a year now. A week from today will be exactly one year I've been out of work. So I understand times are tough. If you can't donate, please go to my social media page, retweet the GoFundMe, post about the GoFundMe. That is free. So I completely get if you can't afford to donate anything. This is a shit time for a lot of people. But if you're on social media, it costs absolutely nothing to go to my social media page on Twitter and just hit retweet. That's free. And you might be bringing awareness to something to different people that follow me. So any help is appreciated. And, uh, you know, please consider donating if you can. Like I said, it's on all my social media. Definitely hit Twitter. I post about this every day. Now, this is time for. The 2021 New York Islanders slash Bridgeport Sound Tigers fight report. Well, Bridgeport season is over. It's officially over. The season ended this week. And Bridgeport finished the year with 10 fighting majors, which in today's day and age is not the worst thing in the world considering they play 24 games. So, you know, maybe that, that amounts to, you know, 37, 38 fights over a full season, which again, in this day and age, it's not so bad. Uh, but the last fight of the year occurred a few days ago on May 4th. Uh, former guest and friend Mike Cornell had his first fight of the year against Will Cooley. Now, this guy, Cooley, earlier in the year fought Otto Koivula. And I think I called him Coyle because I don't know if I wasn't paying attention. But apparently, his name is Cooley. So, Mike, excuse me. Uh, Mike Cornell records the last Sound Tiger fight of the year, fight number 10 for the team against Will Cooley of Hartford. And uh, it's unfortunate that Mike didn't play too much this year. He did get in a few games, um, only the one scrap. I, I think he played two games, maybe three. I don't even remember. Uh, Yannick Turcott only played two games, I believe. He didn't have any fights. Um, so... Uh, as far as an Islander fan goes, there were uh, a few players really stood out this year. 
Um, you know, so like, I know people are always whining about Brent Thompson, but I, I don't know if people really understand that it's more important to develop the prospects than to win champion and championships. And this year, there's not even a playoff except for, I think one division is having a, having a tournament type playoff thing. So yes, it'd be great to win the Calder cup. Absolutely. Um, but they're still developing, uh, prospects down there there were a handful of guys that had pretty good seasons um unfortunately i wish i had uh better news regarding uh, mike cornell and yannick turkop because obviously those are my priorities down in bridgeport they're they're guys that i um you know i've interviewed i, I root for those guys they're good guys uh a guy like yannick he's just this enthusiastic kid that you can't help but root for and he's young and you know, he's a unicorn nowadays with the, the role that he plays. And he's just such an easy kid to root for. Root for. He's just full of youthful exuberance, like I always say. Guy like Mike Cornell, the grizzled veteran, family man. Uh, just just the all-around good guy. Just such an easy guy to root for, a hard-hitting defenseman. These are the guys I want to see succeed. Um, unfortunately, they're just under contract to Bridgeport. So, of course, they're going to play behind the guys that are under contract to the Islanders. But um, hopefully... They'll be back next year. Obviously, who the hell knows what's going to happen this year between um, exp uh, expansion with Seattle, who's going to get signed, who's going to get taken, um, you know, who signs elsewhere. But I honestly hope that uh, Mike Cornell and Yannick Turkard are back with the Islander organization next year. And it would be great to see them back with Bridgeport in an expanded role as opposed to going down to the East Coast League. But keep an eye on those guys. Uh, they're easy guys to root for. They're good guys. And, uh, and we'll see what happens going forward. No new developments in terms of Islander fights. Uh, they are holding steady at five. The last one was, uh, I don't know, almost two weeks ago. Uh, the rematch between Matt Martin and Zidane Ochara. Uh, no fights tonight against um, New Jersey. And there's one game left on Monday against Boston. Who knows? Who knows who's going to play? Who knows what's going to happen? So uh, chances are we're looking at the Islanders finishing the season with five fighting majors. So uh, just a couple of other things before we get to my guest today. Uh just something about baseball. Uh, my good friend is the manager of the South Bend Cubs, uh, which is an affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. They started their season this week. I would like to wish Michael all the best with his team this year. And uh, hopefully later this summer, I'll be able to take a trip out there and uh, and speak to the boys and um, just hang out with Mike a little bit and watch some baseball. Uh, you know, I said I'm not as big a baseball fan as I have been in the past, and that's true. Uh, but I, I do always feel a little energized going to watch minor league baseball. It's always good to see uh, some hungry kids. And, um, you know, I know Michael's an old school manager, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, best of luck to the South Bend Cubs this year. Uh, now, going to touch on a couple other things. One. The Bridgeport Sound Tigers are apparently changing their name. And uh, this was sort of hinted at last week. It's basically now the worst kept secret. Uh, they're tweeting about it every day. But everybody that follows them knows what's happening here. So apparently the Bridgeport Sound Tigers are changing their name to the Bridgeport Islanders, which uh, I am not on board with that for a few reasons. First of all, I kind of like the identity that they've built down there. Um, you know, the... Uh, I think there are a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of guys, a lot of girls who have grown up in that area with this team. Bridgeport's been there a long time, 20 years or so. 
And um, maybe 18 or 19, but we're talking almost 20 years that they've been the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. So you've had families, you know, minor league sports are geared towards families. You've had young boys and young girls going to these games and they've grown up with this Bridgeport Sound Tigers um, brand. And now they're going to change it to Islanders. Uh, the logo that I've seen floated out there. I'm not a fan of it all. I like the Tigers logo. I always did. And then uh, I don't remember the year, but when they switched the color scheme to the current Islander blue and orange colors, uh, I think it just makes it pop. I have a few of their jerseys. The white jerseys are nice, but the blue jerseys, they are just unbelievably beautiful. And um, I'm just not a fan of this. And to me, it really doesn't make any sense if the plan eventually is to move the team to the Nassau Coliseum. You already have a team on Long Island called the Islanders. So you're going to change the name again. So my opinion, and I've seen other people say it is why not leave the sound tiger name for as long as they're going to be in Bridgeport. And then if they're moved to Long Island, you already have the name there. You change it to the Long Island sound tigers, get it. Long Island sound sound tigers. It writes itself. So I don't really understand the rebrand. I don't think it's necessary. Um, I, I'm not on board with it at all. Obviously, I'm still going to root for them. They're still going to be my favorite team in the HL. But I think the rebrand and the Bridgeport Islanders, uh, I, I'm going to have thumbs down right now. I can't I can't uh, be on board with that. Like I said, especially if they're going to move the team to Nassau in a couple of years, you got to change the name again. What are you going to do, go back to Sound Target? Uh, it just... It doesn't make sense to me. I think it's a mistake, but so be it. That's why they're and, – and it's probably marketing and what I've learned over the years. Uh, people in marketing get paid a lot of money, and, God, I sometimes I don't think they know what they're talking about. But that's just me, and, um, you know, I'm sitting here doing this for free, hopefully entertaining you. So as I alluded to earlier, unless you're living under a rock this week, uh, you are all too familiar with what went on with the Rangers and the Capitals. And I'm not going to get too deep into it. Honestly, middle of the week, I think before they actually had the rematch, I was really into it. I said, I'm going to record an episode. I'm all fired up. And uh, I was tweeting about it. And I was really, really into it. And then I think just going through social media and seeing uh, some of the opinions of the dissenters and the people who are anti-fighting and just the whining and it, it just wears you out. It really, it really does. It's just a con it's just constant. It, it's just, Oh my God, enough. And it just wore me out. And I'm like, you know what? I can't even be bothered. I, I just can't. I'll, I'll just do a little short segment on it today. Um, so obviously, as you know, uh, Wilson, in a scrum, um, roughed up Panarin. So I'm going to give full marks to Panarin for trying to help out his teammate, Buchnevich, who, by the way, plays a little bit like a dick. Now, not on the dick level of, as Tom Wilson. Let's be honest. He doesn't, okay? Everybody knows how I feel about Tom Wilson, okay? Um, but just because you're not as big an asshole as Tom Wilson, it doesn't mean you shouldn't get an extra shot or two here or there. And in the games that I've seen Buchnevich play, he plays like an asshole. So, so be it. But Panarin was coming in to defend his teammate. And the one thing I will say that I do agree with Wilson is this was a scrum that happens all the time. It happens even in today's kinder, gentler game. Scrums like that happen all the time. And you know what? 
if Panarin lands a different way, we're not talking about it. But because of the optics where it looked like he could have landed on his head, that's where it exploded. But these scrums happen all the time. And again, it looked bad. And it could have been bad. But again, if he lands on a different part of his body, he lands on his on his shoulder, lands on his back and gets right up, whatever it is, we're not having this conversation. But so be it. Listen, Tom Wilson reaps what he sows. This is a guy, he's been in trouble numerous times. I <laughs> I don't want to go into it. I know a few people are sick of hearing me say it, but I guess I'll just say it. I used to like Tom Wilson. I lost all respect for Tom Wilson when he boarded Lubo Visnovsky into the boards and ended his career and then ran from Eric Bolton every game they played after that. People can disagree with me, and that's fine. I know what I saw. I know what I read. He ran from Eric Bolton. Now, I want to make it clear. Do I think Tom Wilson is afraid of Eric Bolton? No, I do not. Do I think Tom Wilson is afraid of Ryan Reeves? Do I think Tom Wilson is afraid of Ross Johnson? No. I don't think Tom Wilson is afraid of anybody, nor should he be. The guy can definitely handle himself. He's not the toughest guy in the league, but he shouldn't be afraid of anybody. He wasn't afraid of Eric Bolton. He's not afraid of Ryan Reeves, even though Reeves handed him his lunch. He's not afraid of Ross Johnson, even though Ross Johnson had to literally take Wilson's gloves off to fight him. My issue with Wilson is you want to play the way you play, answer the bell when it rings. He didn't want to answer the bell against Eric Bolton, but the dude has no problem fighting Andrews Lee every single time they play. And when Ross Johnston challenged him, he tried to pull the bullshit where he didn't want to fight, and Johnston basically had to rip Wilson's gloves off to get him to engage at all. Now, I know he's fought Matt Martin. They're very similar, so he should fight Matt Martin, but he should also fight Ross Johnston. He should also fight Eric Bolton. He should also fight Ryan Reeves. My issue with him is his willingness. No problem. Never tries to pull bullshit with Anders Lee. Loves fighting Anders Lee. Doesn't really have the same zest for fighting Ross Johnston. Again, just to make it clear, I don't think he's afraid of Ross Johnston. But if you're going to play that way, you got to answer the bell. Don't don't pussyfoot around this bullshit. Just fucking do it. You want to play like a dick? When the bell rings, answer it. Okay. Now, this guy creates his own problems. So this whole bullshit happens with the Rangers. Then he goes to the penalty box and he does that little flex thing, whatever it was in the penalty box, with the goofy smile on his face. Whatever. The Rangers don't have anyone to match him. Now, As I said the day after this happened when everybody was bitching about Tom Wilson, I hold the Ranger general manager and president just as accountable for this as Tom Wilson because, and this pains me to say it as an Islander fan, what the Rangers have built is potentially going to be a pretty impressive squad there. They have a lot of young talent, but they have a lot of young raw talent. They have a lot of young small talent. They may be tall, but they're not heavy. They're not big. So how do you put together this team of potential? I mean, they have legit probably four, five, six blue chip prospects that if they all develop, they're going to be dangerous. But how do you put a team like this together and not have a big brother watching their back? How do you do it, especially when you're in a division 
with the Washington Capitals. Because as much as everybody says, Tom Wilson this, Tom Wilson that, if you're playing Washington and you're not game planning for Tom Wilson, then you're wrong. And if you're putting together a team and you're not putting together a a roster with somebody who can combat Tom Wilson, then that's on you. As Islander fans, we're fortunate. We have guys like Matt Martin and Ross Johnston that can offset a Tom Wilson. And if you notice, he doesn't run around like a maniac against the Islanders. He doesn't run around like a maniac against Vegas, against Calgary, against teams with legitimate deterrence on the team. He still plays his game, but he doesn't go overboard because he knows he can go overboard against 98% of the league which is what he does against teams like the Rangers because they have nobody to stop him. So let me ask you this, as much as you hate the guy, why wouldn't he play that way? Why wouldn't he play that way? If nobody is going to stop him, why would he stop playing that way? The answer is he shouldn't. Another thing for those of you out there saying you wouldn't want Tom Wilson on your team. I believe you, but do you know who would take Tom Wilson on their team? Every single general manager in hockey, every single one, because they would all take them. And if you don't think at every draft table, the question isn't asked at least once, is there a Tom Wilson in this draft? You're lying to yourself because as much as I don't like him, you can't deny how effective he is. He takes other teams off their game. He's a weapon out there and he plays first line minutes. It sickens me that I have to, say these nice things about him because I can't stand him. But you can't deny it just because you hate him. Okay? So, yeah. I mean, that was a dangerous play what happened. The result was dangerous, but I'll I'll say it again. If, If Panarin lands a different way, we may not be having this discussion. And the Rangers organization is just as responsible because they didn't not only did they not have a guy on the major league roster to defend them. They have one guy in the minors and even after he does this stuff to Panarin and Butchnevich. They don't even call him up. Mason Gertzen should have been on the roster for the rematch. That was ridiculous that they didn't call him up. But it's because the Rangers put out this ridiculous statement, and they were rightfully fined $250,000. And then they fire the architects of this team. Why would you fire guys who put this team together when you're really missing a piece that you can get somewhat easily when you have a pretty – deep group of prospects. You don't have to give away the studs, but if you want to add some muscle, you can do that. So I don't quite understand why. What I've heard is that that ridiculous statement, that embarrassing statement was issued by uh, Dolan and um, the GM and uh, John Davidson were not on board with it. And uh, that was a a big no-no for Dolan. Also, I've heard that um, he wanted to fire, he wanted Davidson to fire the GM, Gorton, and uh, Davidson said no, so he fired both of them. So the one thing for us as Islander fans that is a positive out of all this is if Dolan's going to start putting his fingers on this Ranger team, that's a good thing because for years he just let Glenn Sather take care of the Rangers and he interfered every day with the Knicks and the Knicks were a dumpster fire while the Rangers had some pretty good seasons. But now if Dolan feels like he has to get involved on the Rangers side, He's going to destroy those kids. He'll destroy that organization. So let's hope that he keeps his fingers on this team and ruins it because the guy, you know, <laughs> he's he's something else. Let's leave it at that, okay? 
And uh, something I want to say about those people who don't like fighting. Um, the numbers came out for the game. And uh, the, the rematch game, um, let's see. Wednesday's Capitals-Rangers NHL regular season game, a highly anticipated game that featured numerous fights upon the opening faceoff, averaged 423,000 viewers on NBC Sports Network, the network's largest largest NHL audience since March 24th, Sabres-Penguins, 449,000. For the season, it ranks as the 11th most-watched game on NBC Sports Network, with nine of the top 11 coming from the Eastern Division. Now, it says it averaged... 423,000 viewers. What I want to know is what the viewership was at the start of the game and what the viewership was for the first period. Because after the opening faceoff with the line brawl, and then they had a couple of fights after that, I'm sure people tuned away. And then after Tom Wilson bruises Hyman and he left the game with the undisclosed injury, I'm sure everybody who wasn't a Ranger fan or a Capital fan definitely tuned out. So because it's an average, I'm sure that as the game went on, the viewership went down, which actually brought down the number to 423,000 because I'm sure at the start of the game, the number was much higher. So that's the number I'd actually like to know. But, you know, for those people out there that, uh, that don't like fighting, that just can't admit it. Um, I'm sorry to hurt your feelings, but it still has a place in the game whether you like it or not. And we'll see what happens now going forward with the Rangers, because if they go into the season and don't have any muscle next year, there's going to be more incidents like this because it's going to be open season on these kids. So uh, let's see what happens. But now I want to talk about today's episode. Today's guest is Rod Dahlman. Now, Rod Dahlman, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you people here about how I feel about Rod Dahlman. Uh, I've been a hockey fan for a very long time, and I don't really have rankings of who my favorite players are. I, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have friendships with with uh, many of these guys, so I can't say who who do I like, who do I rank higher. I mean, listen, you know it, Dean Ewan. He's my brother. He's my number one. Um, that's a given. But I don't have anyone after that. But Rod Dahlman is someone who would seriously probably be in my top 10 all time. I absolutely love this guy. And um, it was for me to get Roddy on the show. um, Like I posted earlier this week, one of my goals when I started this show was to get as many of the uh, Springfield Indians from the Calder Cup team in 8990 to do the show. And so far I've had Dean Ewan, Kerry Clark, Rob DeMaio, Sean Byram, Dave Chizowski, and John Forsland on the show. Um, so it really is a goal of mine to get other guys from that team like Dale Kushner, Chris Pryor, Dean Chenalth, Mike Stevens, Dale Henry, Derek Laxdahl, Andre Brassard, and Kevin Cheveldayoff. Now, a couple of those guys I've already discussed it with, and as of right now, it doesn't look like it's in the cards. And um, as much as I respect their wishes... I am disappointed because I know their stories would be awesome to listen to. They're, they're great guys. They're really cool. They, they have great stories to tell, but I absolutely 100% respect their wishes, but I am, I am disappointed. Um, but that's just me. You know, I, like I said, total respect. 
I just wish that they would reconsider. But if they don't ever reconsider, then that's okay. I still love them. I do. Um, but I really want to get as many of those guys on the show. That The late 80s Springfield teams really hold a special place in my heart, which is funny because I really only got to know a lot of those guys and, and the games and the results from the hockey news every week or ringside, like I've said a million times in the past. But that team just, it's its one of those weird things where you just attach yourself to something and they just will always mean something to you. And, you know, obviously, you know, knowing Dean all these years and having friendships with a lot of those guys like Dean Chenouth and Kerry Clark, uh, Sean Byer and Dave Chazow, like these guys, John Forsland, who I've spoken to on and off for years now. Uh, I always love talking about those teams with him. Uh, the, those late 80s Springfield teams always will have a special place in my heart. And uh, and Rod Dahlman is really, I can't stress exactly how much it means to me for him to do this. I, I guess the best equivalent would be if someone had an Edmonton Oilers podcast and um, wanted to get like those dynasty guys. Well, that's the equivalent. And I know you're probably thinking I'm crazy. Um, but, you know, if you have an Edmonton Oilers podcast, you want to get guys like Gretzky and Curry and Messier and Glenn Anderson and all those guys, Grant Fjord and Kevin Lowe. And I like for me, the fact that I, I gave you the list of guys I've spoken to already, like like Dean Ewan and Sharky and Robbie DeMaio, Bizey, Chazowski, Forslund, to add a guy like Dolly to the list is just so big for me. It really is, uh, you know. So uh, if you're familiar with Rod Dahlman, you probably understand why I'm such a big fan. And if you're not familiar with him, I, I would implore you, uh, check out Darren's uh, YouTube page and just Google Rod Dahlman and you'll just see, uh, I mean, the guy's tenacious. Uh, the, the one thing most people say about him is if he was four or five inches taller and maybe 20, 30 pounds heavier, he would have played 10 years in the NHL. Um, there's just, Rod Dahlman to me is a hockey player. You know, he's just to me, if you if you put out there what a hockey player should be made of, it's Rod Dahlman. It's guys like Rod um, and it really just like I can't say and I know I'm gushing right now, uh, but these guys, this team, this Springfield Indians team is so important to me as a fan. Um, so listen, if anyone's out there that knows the guys that I listed that I want to get on the show and you can help me out, I would really appreciate that because this would be like like uh, a, a complete puzzle if I could actually talk to all these guys. But adding Rod Dahlman to the list is huge for me. And Rod, I really, really, if you are listening to this, I really want to thank you for taking the time and, and speaking with me and telling your story because I had a blast and it was amazing to talk to you. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with that Springfield Indians team, I'll just give you the numbers from that 89-90 team. Uh, for the guys, how many games they played, how many penalty minutes. And this is a Calder Cup champion team. So Dean Ewan led the team in penalty minutes with 194 in 34 games. Next was Cush, Dale Kushner, 163 penalty minutes in 45 games. Next is Rod Dahlman, 43 games, 129 penalty minutes. Next is Sarge, Chris Pryor, 60 games, 105 penalty minutes. Dean Chenouth, 40 games, 98 penalty minutes. Mike Stevens, 28 games, 75 penalty minutes. Kerry Clark, 21 games, 73 penalty minutes. Both Kerry and Mike didn't finish the year with uh, Springfield. They went other places. Uh, Dale Henry, 43 games, 68 penalty minutes. Derek Laxdahl, 28 games, 42 penalty minutes. 
Sean Byram, 31 games, 30 penalty minutes. And then Andre Broussard played one game. Uh, he was called up from the East Coast League, no penalty minutes. And two late-season additions, Dave Chizowski and Kevin Sheveldayoff, both played four games. Uh, Chizor had seven PIMs, and Chevy didn't have any. But it's a lot of muscle, and the team, it just means so much to me. So um, it really is just great um, to get Rod on the show. So I could put I, I put a list out on social media uh, of of those guys that I just listed. And the guys I had on the show, I had a red check mark. And it's going to be great when I could post the updated list with a red check mark next to Rod Dahlman's name. So um, this is a big deal for me. Uh, I love Rod. And um, <laughs> I love Rod. Well, if I was anybody, someone could actually take that and play it like as a soundbite or something that I just said, I love Rod, but uh, I love Rod Dahlman, by the way, but I love all those guys from that Springfield page. And uh, this was a big deal to me, Rod. Thank you again for the time. I hope that you people enjoy it. And I'm going to leave you with one more thing. If you're listening to this on Sunday, May 9th, it's mother's day, which to me is one of my favorite days of the year. Uh, I have a, uh, a reverence for mothers, not just birth mothers. It could be mothers, women who've adopted children, um, you know, stepmothers who do the job, anyone that uh, is a, a mother or like a mother. Um, I hold my mother in very high regard. I hold my wife in very high regard as a mother. Um, you know, let's be honest. They uh, keep the species going. That's what, <laughs> that's a pretty big, I know, I know the world now wants to tell you that men and women are the same, but uh, women make human beings and that's something we can never do. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to think that I'm a good dad, but I know I'll never have the relationship with my boys that, that my wife does because they actually grew inside of her. And I don't want to have a relationship with anything that comes out of me. So, um, my boys are very lucky to have my wife as a mom. Uh, I am very lucky to have my mother as a mom. And I have some very great mothers in my life. Uh, my mother-in-law, my sister, uh, my stepmom, you know, uh, who am I forgetting? My sister-in-law. And, um, you know, like I said, my wife and my mom. So uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, it's a shame that uh, there's only one day a year to recognize you. You deserve all the best every day of the year. So to all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. And uh, to everyone listening, I hope you enjoy this chat with Rod Dahlman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. Tonight is a huge deal for me. This is a big deal. So as uh, those of you who know me personally or you just know me from the show, you know that uh, there is a special place in my heart for the Springfield Indians. And um, I, I really hope to interview the majority of those guys that played on those Springfield teams. And even if I don't, there's a handful of guys from those teams that I consider an absolute must to interview. And the gentleman I have this evening, one of my favorite players of all time in any league, and he is Mr. Springfield Indian. He's the all-time leader in penalty minutes for the Springfield Indians with 844 in 169 games. By the way, also had 31 goals too. Tonight, I bring you a chat with Mr. Rod Dahlman. Dolly, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Absolutely, Joel. It's been a long time that we uh, finally connected here, so I'm looking forward to doing whatever you need me to do, man. Oh, this is great. Fantastic. So, 
So, Rod, the first question I ask people is uh, I, w- I always want to know who they who they were as a kid. But with you, I have to ask you one question before that. So uh, I, when I was doing research for this, and I think it I think based with based on your relationship with the with the Prince Albert area, I think I've seen places say you were born in Prince Albert, but I did see some places say you were born in uh, B.C. So uh, which is it? Actually, I was actually born out in British Columbia, Quinell, British, British Columbia. I spent a, the majority of my time here. Parents were divorced, so I spent the majority of my time here playing hockey. So you moved to Prince Albert at a very young age. Yeah, that's correct. That's probably why I'm connected here so so much. Okay, so then uh, now I'll ask you the question I ask everybody. If I had a time machine and I went back to um, you, a young Rod Dahlman on the uh, ponds of Prince Albert, who were you? And by that, I mean, when I was playing street hockey here on Long Island, I was always Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom. Um, who would a young Rod Dahlman be out on the ponds or in the rinks? Well, you know what, Joe? I mean, it, it's been, uh, when you when you think back, uh, to be honest with you, is that I, I never, ever thought about following the game at the NHL level of, or, you know, aspiring to be any certain type of player. I was... Um, you know, like I said just a little bit earlier, I mean, parents were divorced. We we know we were we struggled at a lot of times for the most part, and I was just playing hockey. And it was uh, I didn't really know an awful lot about the upper levels. My dad wasn't a really big hockey guy, and it was kind of my only, you know, role model that I had. And and so if he didn't follow it, I didn't follow it. So I, I honestly. Growing up until, you know, I'm 15, and I'm sure we'll get into some of this, and that is, is I, I didn't know anything about the NHL or even the Western Hockey League right up until about 14 or 15 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first team that I have any sort of statistics for you uh, are the Prince Albert Midget Raiders. So is that sort of, um, is that uh, a junior A, junior B, is that sort of the feeder team for the actual Western League Prince Albert Raiders? Actually, you know what that was, was back in the day, and that it's, it's if you're familiar with midget hockey, or they call it now U18 in today's terminology, okay. is that, that that Joe was just like a midget team. It was based on uh, 16, 17-year-olds. Okay. You know, back in the day there. So I mean, it was just like a minor hockey, the end of the minor hockey system. I got you. And and just so people know, and and I'm going to harp on this because obviously, if you listen to this show, that you know, I talk to all the tough guys, and everybody I interview is tough. Um, Rod, you had 20 points that year in 21 games for the Prince Albert Midget Raiders. And my contention with everybody that I interview is. Uh, you guys can all play hockey. You, you do more than fight. And um, and your numbers, as we go through, really show that when you get a chance to play and a coach has faith in you to do other things, you put up numbers. And I think this is just a perfect example of, you know, everyone, I, I think a lot of people who, who um, put down the enforcers, they kind of think they're built in a lab and they don't realize that they were actually kids growing up and that you enjoyed actually playing hockey. And when you, you had coaches at any level, that gave you a chance to play. You could actually put up numbers, and and as you're going through your 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 midget time, and as your junior, and even through the minors, you always managed to put up numbers when you had a chance to play. Well, you know what I mean, because because back in you know, Joe, I'm an old guy, you know now, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> we're going back a lot of years, and you know a lot of the guys at my age and stuff were, 
it wasn't the hype and then the money wasn't in the national hockey league like it is today where parents and kids are are driving their kids towards not just hockey but a lot of different other sports because of the the money and the fame and everything it was a game and and we played the game because we loved it and that that, that i think that's a real big difference now we get to uh, your. We're going to start with your Western League now, and you played for what essentially is your hometown team, the Prince Albert Raiders. So, uh, how does that happen? Do they put you on their list, or is it a tryout? How did you end up with the Raiders? Back in the day, it was uh, when I started. It was a list, and there was no draft system or anything like that. It was just a free for all list. Whoever you want. And uh, I actually technically was listed by the, the Medicine Hat Taggers. And uh, Terry Simpson uh, mentioned to me one day, like after a few years and stuff like that, that uh, he swung kind of a, uh, a deal, you know, to, to swing, you know, uh, draft picks or not draft picks, uh, list players and stuff like that. So that was technically an unofficial trade. I'm dropping him, but I'm picking this guy up right away type thing. Gotcha. How did you find them? How did you find the jump going from midget to, to the Western league? Cause um, Western league is a pretty big deal. And especially back in the mid eighties, when you were there, uh, it was pretty much the jungle. So I don't know how, how the play was in midget, but now you're jumping in and, and you're playing in the Western league. What was that like? Well, I mean, you coming in as a young guy is like from a lot of your other guys that say this, I mean, you're a young guy, and you're and 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 the Western League back in the day was in Prince Albert, especially. But the the league itself was was tough. It was built on intimidation. It was built on toughness, and it and and you know, and then they mixed in a bunch of skills and some guys on for power plays. To, but it was it, it was a very it was a, a transition. But if you were that type of player which which I was fortunate enough to be, you know, the transition of moving into that area wasn't all that hard. Now, you had mentioned that you weren't, um, you didn't know much about the NHL at all at the time, and you really didn't know a lot about uh, Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, but before you joined the team, and I guess being part of the Midget Raiders, who obviously got their name from the Western League team, I'd imagine, um, did, it, did you feel... Um, I guess how should I word this? Like, was it sort of a big deal to play for your hometown team instead of say going to Medicine Hat? Oh man, I'm telling you, you know, as a kid, you're just you love it and you're playing. But you know, we had three guys on that team that were all from Prince Albert, and we kind of grew up together. Although I shouldn't say that. I mean, Davy Manson and and Dougie Hobson were uh, guys that that kind of were in the in the developmental stream of Prince Albert. I, every time I tried to go and try out for these teams, I got cut. <laughs> so I didn't play any organized hockey until that was my very first year of organized hockey was with the Midget Raiders at, uh, at 16 years old. Oh, wow. um, I always just played house league. And, and that was the thing is that you playing with the, with my hometown guy, guys, um, it, it was just something special. And, and I think that there was a connection with the fans to us as well um they could call us their own and i think that was really nice and i think that was a great opportunity for us now you played on one of the storied teams that year we got to talk about a couple of your teammates one of them you just mentioned and that was dave manson another guy obviously no matter who what kind of theme this show had 
I'd have to ask you about him, but especially because it's an Islander theme show, I got to ask you about playing with a young Kenny Baumgartner also. Uh, what was it like playing with those two guys? Well, I mean, you know, they, their reputations speak for themselves, but, you know, Dave is, uh, you know, as, as the years went through and, and you know, Charlie Manson, his nickname there, ended it up to be, and I, he was like that in junior too, but as, as tough as he was, Joe, he was that nice of a guy, and he yep. still is. Today, uh, Davey has made uh, tremendous amounts of money in there. His his name is well-known, and, and his son Josh now with Anaheim yep. is, is making a, a name for himself. And that family is, is one of the best families that you'll ever meet, and you would never know that they who they are, you know, besides who they are. So, I mean, they're, they're fantastic people. Uh, Kenny Baumgartner was a guy that we that that Simpson brought in. <laughs> he was he was a he's a different he's a different cat. I'm telling you, I think he was uh, when he came in from Flint Flon or wherever he came from there. I don't think it was Flint Flon. Yep. It was yep. Flon. It was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he came in right from the get go, and, and he 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 wanted to be the guy. And, uh, and you could see it right from training camp on. And those guys were a lot of fun to play with because they just established heavyweights on our teams. And, and we had a lot of guys that were tough. That team was, a, was still talked about here, of course, in local legends here yeah. in all coffee rooms. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it, uh, in a lot of times talking to other guys, and they just – they talk about our team and, and how they, you know, the PA flu and, and all of those things and stuff like it was a lot of fun to play with that team, but especially those guys, they give us the heavyweight contenders and uh, then everybody else could just filter out and figure out who they need to play against. I was going to ask you about the PA flu, because if you've listened to other episodes, you've heard me uh, bring that up with some of the uh, guys you may have played against. And, uh, you know, in the NHL back in the day, people talked about the Philly flu. and uh, But the PA flu, I mean, after you made pro and maybe you played against um, some guys or played with some guys who you might have played against in the Western League, uh, did they sort of confirm the fact that the PA flu was indeed a real thing? Well, they, you know what they, they, you know, nobody ever said that that there was such a thing because mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the age group that we were at. But you know what, I, I heard a story one time that uh, Saskatoon came in, and uh, I think it was uh, Daryl Lubinicki was the head coach at that time, and I think that it was there. There was somebody that came in. Uh, might have been Larry De Palma, or it make no, you know, it was a, like a Rocky Dundas or something like that, and kind of a guy that was probably, you know, kind of around my my caliber of, of fighting skills and stuff like that, and and I remember that uh, just before they were loading the bus, that Rocky or whoever, I think he had a brother too, he they he didn't make it, he you know he wasn't feeling good and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he came down going, and I think we ended up spanking them hard. Like it was, we we were up by eight, nine, ten goals. And when they went home, we we heard a rumor there that Lubinicki phoned them and cut them right there. So, <laughs> that'll never happen again. Type thing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> 
So uh, getting back to Bomber for a second. So obviously I'm, he's one of my favorite players. Also, I've done a lot of reading on him. I'm fortunate enough to meet him several times. The one word, and, and I think I asked Mick this too, when I spoke to him, the one word I always see about Bomber when it comes to his time at Prince Albert in the Western league is terrorized. Like he, he wanted to terrorize the league and, and there were some real tough players in the league at the time. But like you said, you got that sense that he just wanted to be the number one guy, right? Absolutely. And, and, and he was, uh, you know, I did, you know, I knowing the, the league as well as, as I did back then and playing with those guys and looking at the teams and the players that we played against the guys that that bomber fought, they, they fought him because they had to fight him. And it was because they were the toughest on that team. And, and he, and he knew that like he, he bomber never, ever preyed on other guys and stuff like that. It was always who is the toughest guy. And that's the guy that I'm going to be fighting. And he, he made a, you know, uh, he made a point out of singling guys out, those guys out on the ice. So they either had to put up or they had to shut up and, and put their tail between their legs and go off the ice. And back then we just never did. But so he beat the shit out of a lot of guys. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he got traded to the Islanders, he did an interview with Jiggs McDonald. And one of the things Jiggs brought up was something that Bomber used to say uh, when he would get into scrums or whatever it is. And um, when he brought it up to him, he almost kind of blushed. And he's like, well, it's something I used to say in junior or the minors. And uh, did you ever hear Bomber use the phrase daddy's home when he's coming into a pile of players? Oh, yeah. You know what? It, he did there, too. And, and and I don't remember what game it was there or not. But there was a, a real kind of a scrum and that. There was a lot of line brawls back in the day. And so there was a little bit of a scrum going on. And, and he got there. I think it was against Moose Drop, I'm not mistaken, down in the crush can there. And he he was a guy that would would slide in there just so nonchalantly and just like he wouldn't come in hard, yeah. you know. He would just slide in. Hey, daddy's home. Who wants it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was great when Jiggs interviewed him, and he kind of, I don't know if he was expecting a question, but when he asked him, he just got this look on his face like, oh, yeah, I used to say that back in the day, but not anymore, you know, so uh, I figured <laughs> get it from someone who may have heard it firsthand. Yeah, absolutely, he did so. For for someone like yourself, the, the style of game that you play coming in, I believe that Bomber and, and Dave were already there the season before, if I'm not mistaken. So having guys like that that have already done it for a year, does that make your transition, again, based on the style of play you have, does that make your transition easier knowing that you don't have to be the number one guy fighting all these maniacs every night by yourself? Well, absolutely. And, and you know, those guys that already established a reputation, Terry Simpson's teams were – going back, not just in that year, but even going back into the junior aid before they moved into the Western Hockey League, Terry Simpson loved his hockey, his tough hockey players, and, and they were always tough. And, uh, you know, when when moving into that, that team especially, there was a lot of tough guys, you know, like guys that, that could handle themselves and, and, you know, win some, lose some, you know, like, like the rest of us. And, and but we would always show up. There was there was hardly anybody that would ever not show up. And if they did, they got it from the rest of us, you know. And that it was that was our team. And so those guys, 
really paved the way for guys like myself, you know, and, 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 you know, like Cush even, you know, type thing was, was, was trying to make as, you know, trying to get onto that team as well. And uh, there was a lot of guys, Donnie Schmidt and just lots of guys like that. Now you mentioned him a few times. Uh, I happen to really like him and be a big fan of him. And I, I don't know if he's ever going to really get the credit from Islander fans that, that he should, as far as being a coach, because he, who wants to take over for Al Arbor, you know, and, and Terry Simpson, he's legendary Western league coach. And he came here and, you know, coached Islanders for a little bit, but again, you can't, you can't replace a legend. And I think that's what people probably remember him most for here, which is unfortunate because I think he's a, I think he's a phenomenal coach, but how did you like playing for Terry Simpson? Simpson was great. Like he was very direct. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a big mushy, mushy guy. You know, he was a guy, you know, I mean, he was a coach and, and you had some conversations with him, but, but it, it, it's not, it's not like it is in today's game where, you know, talking to Todd McClellan and, and, and all these guys and, you know, where you're, you, you gotta be their pal and you gotta yeah. know what kind of music, you know, when you, when you listen to podcasts of, Kenny Hitchcock and talking about, oh boy, you guy, what's the music are they listening to in the, in the dressing room? You know, I remember watching, listening to a podcast and Kenny Hitchcock being his age, he was same age as Simpson, walking through the dressing room in Dallas and that, and saying to the trainer saying, what's playing in there? What's their playlist and that? And they would say, oh, it's this band or whatever type thing. And he would go and Google it, you know, because <laughs> He needed to have an understanding to be able to have a connection. It wasn't that way back with Simso, you know, coached. He, he was a very direct guy. He, he played the game hard when he was a younger player. And uh, you're, it was laid out for you what you were going to do. But he always allowed you to expand and, and go into areas where you tried to improve. And, and that was the thing that, that Simso always tried to do. He allowed you to try different things. If you got a little bit too ahead of yourself, thinking that you were, uh, as Don Cherry would say, when a rusher, or a crusher becomes a rusher, he's soon to be an usher. You That's know? right. And, yep. And and Simso was like that too. You know, like he'd reel you back every now and then. But I, I really felt sorry for Simso when he went there. Uh, I really felt that the Islanders had uh, such a strong tradition that they built such a strong relationships uh, between uh, Al Arbor and Bill Torrey and, and all of those guys and, and with the players. And maybe in today's game, maybe they moved some of those guys a little bit earlier than what they did, you know, so yeah. the transition was easier. But they all grew up together. And unfortunately, I think Simso had to be the fall guy. Yeah, no, like I said, I, I was, you know, nobody's going to replace Al Arbor. And because, and and back in the day, there's no internet and everything. But as you read articles and I see where he came from and, you know, like obviously, you know, as much as I could back in the day, follow the Western League, especially being an Islanders fan, since most of the draft picks, it seemed like came from the Western League. And you see that what um, Simpson has on his resume, I was pretty excited. Like nobody's ever going to replace Arbor, like I've said a million times already, but I, I wish he would have maybe been given more of a chance, but you know, he, he's got a tremendous resume, so it doesn't really, I guess, make a difference what I think, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> or, or, or me. Yeah. So let's get into a couple of guys you fought that first year. So uh, you jumped right into the deep end. If my records are correct, your first fight in the Western league was against some guy from medicine hat named Shane Churla. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know let, let's just put it this way, Joe. I wasn't overly smart at times. You know what I I never sometimes think, never thought with my head. I was always thinking with my emotions, and sometimes I still do today. But uh, I, I was a guy that that and, and still is, you know, like was never afraid of anybody. It didn't matter how big they were or anything else. I I, I wanted to try them, and I was and I didn't want to do the old song and dance and tug and rug and and hang on and and maybe get two shots in and fall to the ice i was never that guy i i, I didn't want that you know if, if i'm gonna fight let's let's straight up fight and let's get this on and whoever's standing at the end is is the winner and yeah. shane was uh was was a good was a was a tough guy you know and he, he's already established a little bit for the most part yeah, i think he was a year or two older than i was and it happened right in front of the bench there in that too. So I'm not exactly sure what happened, but yeah, he was there and, and we got pushing and shoving there in a group and we kind of squared off. And yeah, we had, we had a good battle. We had actually had a good battle. We, we fought a few times that year. And uh, I think, you know, out of the three times, I think we, it was probably a one, one and one type thing. We ended up rugging and tugging there and <laughs> fell down like a bunch of girls here and stuff. Like that. <laughs> well, Another guy that you fought, and actually I, I know him pretty well, and, and he told me about your fights, and he said that uh, when he fought you in the Western League, you guys were close to the same size, but then when he fought you in the American League, he got a little bit bigger, uh, and that was Brent Severin, who you fought uh, that first year. He was with the Wheat Kings. You remember that fight? Yeah, you know what? No, I don't. I, I okay. remember something about it, Joe, but yeah. I don't remember the, the actual fight. You know, unfortunately, you know, it's, one fight kind of blends into yeah. another fighting back in the day there was you you were fighting two times a game almost and and it was some of those kind of you, you kind of remember some of the bigger name guys and stuff but sometimes uh, you just kind of blend it in well i'm going to throw a big name at you here someone you fought that first year you may have heard of him uh, wendell clark oh yeah. <laughs> yeah do you remember fighting wendell yeah yeah definitely we I was in Prince Albert there and that, and, and, and of course, Wendell was Wendell. I mean, everybody knew how damn good he was and, and how strong he was, you know, farm strong, you yeah. know, like it was, wasn't just like, oh, I'm in the gymnasium. I don't even know if we had gymnasiums back then. <laughs> and, and it was just one universal machine for uh, the whole 20 of us to try and get on. But, um, but he was, he was farm strong and, and good core strength and, we ended up getting into a little bit of a tussle. I don't think it was a, a, a very good fight, to be honest with you, Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, we got kind of, it was near the end of both of our shifts, and it was at the end of the game, if I'm not mistaken. And I think we exchanged a couple each, and then we ended up falling down. So, God, I, I, I wish I could give you better stories, man. No, you know, no. Listen you, listen, you tell me what you remember. These sto- Listen, so far, we're 25 minutes in. This is gold. So, if you remember, you remember. If you don't remember, you don't remember, and that's fine with me. So far, this is great. Well, so, I'm, I'm sure that you know, like, we'll eventually hit on one that I remember. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think we'll get to one or two. Um, <laughs> someone who you fought, uh, and this was—I I found my old notes from our first interview, like 15 years ago, that was on my web- website. Um, okay. Al Conroy, who was uh, also uh, another medicine hat guy told me that you guys had a very good fight now i don't know if you're maybe you remember fighting out because you probably one he's probably one of the guys you were bigger than 
Well, yeah, of course he remembers. He kicked the shit out of me. Oh, he set me up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 no. He, he, Al, Al is bullshitting you. <laughs> he was, <laughs> set me up, that up son of a bitch. And, and old Rod there was went in there thinking, man, look at this little guy here. I, yeah. you know, I'll kick the shit out of him. Mm. Well, he fed me with so many freaking rights there and that. Like, it was... It was, I was trying to hang on there and I did and I, he fed me with a few. There's no question about it there. And, that. and even when we ended up down in Hershey together, we, yeah. we laughed about that and stuff like that too. So nah, he, he set you up there, man. He, oh, he gives to me. That little bugger. I yeah. swear to God. Oh. <laughs> well, all right then. All right. So now I'm going to ask you about someone who you definitely, there was no way in hell you could have underestimated and you fought him in the playoffs. Rudy Poshek. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Big Rudy there. Yeah. Well, we, you know what? Kamloops had a really good team that year and that they were out in the West and we were in the East and we met and stuff. And, and so we, it was kind of inevitable that we were thinking about that we would be getting in there. If we could get by Medicine Hat and uh, I'm not sure who the other contender that they had to get by, but you know, we, we believed that we were going to be in that category of playing against them. So I mean, Rudy was was a big guy at that time, you know, and I didn't mean very thick and strong and but really, really fast, fast hands. And and and, you know, I did, too. I like to get get going and stuff like that, too. So we ended up going toe to toe there for a while. And, uh, you know, I we both hit each other good. And that honestly, I, I think it, I think it was a tie. You know, I, there was no clear-cut winner there we we battled at it and stuff like that so uh, yeah that, that, but it was a really good fight good for the fans i think and rudy is the name that comes up when i talk to guys who played uh generally rudy comes up right with bomber where you know as far as like the toughest guys in the league say that year or in their, during their tenure uh people bring up bomber but they also bring up rudy poshek so you can you can either confirm that that he was definitely one of the top guns then well, he was definitely on, on that side of, of the division and stuff like that. He was definitely probably the heavyweight over there. Like, you know, so if Bomber was on our side and then and, and Rudy was on the West, you know, they were definitely the heavyweight champions there and stuff like that. So it was like Tyson and Holyfield, you know, so it's put your money where you want them to go. But knowing what I know just by experience, yeah. I would always put I would always put my money on Bomber. Yeah. So you're one year out of midget hockey and now you're on the road to the Memorial Cup. So can you kind of talk me through like what, you know, the emotions, the grind, like what you remember from that journey and then ultimately winning it? Well, you know, just a backpedaling a little bit there, Joe, is that, you know, coming out of the midget Raiders, like I said to you, like I, I tried out for all of those developmental teams of, of high playing higher levels and, and again, like I, I say that I didn't know anything about hockey. I really didn't. I was just playing the game. And, and all of a sudden, I, I'm playing midget house league hockey to, you know, very similar to a little bit of, of Richie, Richie here, Pilon. Mm-hmm. You know, playing minor league hockey, I, 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 my dad says, why don't you go and try out for the Midget Raiders? And I, ah, dad, you know, I've been cut for like six years in a row here by every developmental team. So, you know, but so he, he convinced me to go to get some ice time. I ended up making the team 
the year after I, I make, uh, you know, I make the, the Prince Albert Raiders uh, that same year, I get drafted by the by the Islanders, and the you know two years later, I, I sign a contract. You know, so, yeah. so you know it, things happen very quick, and and I got a real education on on that side of the game. But you know, going to that Memorial Cup was something where you know we 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 were a a group of guys that really, really believed in each other, uh, a little bit different than, say, in Springfield. We, we, didn't, we weren't a team for a long time in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And, but it, with the Raiders, we were. We, we had a very strong group of, of veterans, Hodgson, Grenier, Pazines, you know, Vive and McPhee and Goddess. You know, those, those guys were uh, strong people. But we always believed and we had a good team. And... We knew right from the get-go, our goal was to win the Memorial Cup. It wasn't to make the playoffs. It wasn't to win our the East Division. Our goal was to win the Memorial Cup. And and that's that Simso did a really good job at guiding us through all of that, that whole transition and that whole part of the game. I reached out to, uh, and you'll find out, like I said, the Al Conroy thing I had uh, from the archives, but I did reach out to uh, several people who uh, you either played with or against or had something to do with your career. And one of those guys was a gentleman named Don Nelson. And I know you know that name, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I had asked him what uh, what he remembers most about you. And uh, I'll read to you what he said, and then you can comment on it. Uh, He said, Rod was a great kid right from Prince Albert, and Rod's dad, Floyd, was a serious tough ass in his time. So Dolly grew up tough. My most vivid memory of Rod that year was at the Memorial Cup when the Raiders played Sault Ste. Marie. Rod dropped his gloves and fearlessly went after this big guy from the Sioux. Rod did pretty well in that fight. The Sioux player was Bob Probert. Rod told us that during the handshake, Probert said, and I quote, you did pretty well, kid. So now I didn't know that you fought Probert. I mean, everyone's seen the Probert and Bomber fight in the penalty box, but you did fight Bob Probert in the Memorial Cup? No, you know what? That I, I know you fought Brandt. Yes, it was Chris Brandt right. that, okay. that, who I fought. So okay. Probert, no, I did never fought Probert in that in that Memorial Cup at all. In fact, I never fought him. You right. know, type that. Um, but no, it, it was Chris Brandt there that, that was the guy that I ended up getting the scrap with. And, and yeah, that was one heck of a fight yeah, yeah. for sure. Now, when you're, when, um, obviously we're, we're talking the mid eighties, so there's no internet. Um, you guys have bomber, you have, uh, Dave Manson, obviously they have Probert. So you can't just go on the internet and, and Google a guy at that time. Were you guys aware of, of Bob Probert at the time? Absolutely. You know what, Joe, internet or no internet, you know, when you, you kind of really get to know players of who's on the other team and that, um, like we, we knew we're going into medicine hat or, or, or moose jaw that there was Buckberger and Keane and, and guys like that, you know, like there was always the guys that you knew who were on that, on the other team and who were tough and who wasn't tough and everything else, you know, cause the stats were stats, yeah. you know, right? you, you'd look at the PMs, the PIMs, and you'd look at the points and you could kind of figure out a lot of things and that. So 
yeah, no, we everybody knew who who Bobby Probert was and stuff like that. But that one was uh, everybody kind of knew that that Bomber would. He, he always did. Mm-hmm. Joe, he Bomber always knew who the other guy's tough guy was, and and everybody knew that it was Bomber's guy. Yeah. You know, whether you needed to fight him or not, there was a lot of guys that we would have that would, would drop the mitts with, with Bobby Probert. There wasn't yeah. an issue with that, but it was Bomber's guy. I keep going back to this, setting up the next question with this. You're one year out of midget. You don't know, you really don't know anything about the NHL. You win the Memorial Cup, and now you're drafted by the Islanders in the sixth round of the draft that summer. So, did you have any idea you were on the Islanders' radar? Had you spoken to them? Had you spoken to any team before the draft? I never spoke to anybody. I, I had no clue really about it at all. In fact, I received a telephone call from Tex Eamon or Jerry Eamon, mm-hmm. and, and I'm walking out of my apartment, you know, and I'm heading out to British Columbia. You know, I spend the summer out there in, in Quinnell with my cousin, and I spend it out every summer out there with him. And, uh, and I'm walking out the door to, to, uh, to head out there and Tex Eamon phones me and he says, Hey, you know, we're, you know, we drafted you. It's, it's Tex Eamon and Islanders. And I'm thinking, what a bunch of bullshit, you know, like, like like the season's over. You guys can quit teasing all the time, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I was, uh, you know, I was, thank God I was respectful and I, oh yeah, thank you, Mr. Eamon and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder who this was, you know, and that, and, and that's it. That, that was the end of our conversation type thing. And that, and then all of a sudden I started getting some, uh, some hoodies and, and, you know, you know, items of clothing from, from the Islanders. And it, it was just like, well, what the hell just happened here? And that, and then I had to actually checked when I got out to BC. You know, there was stuff like that. Uh, I, I'd actually got, got the call, but didn't believe it for probably about seven days until my dad says there was stuff starting to show up in the, in the, at the apartment for me. Well, and, and I, we already talked about your uh, Saskatchewan boy. You can call them bunny hugs. <laughs> See, I know that, right? How's that? Yeah. Yeah, and it still does. There, even my kids here. Some dumb dad. It's not a bunny hug. You know, you're starting to date yourself. You know. <laughs> so, and at least you handled your phone call. If I'm sure you, you know, whether you heard him talk on the episode or when you played with him, when uh, Dean Ewan told Bill Torrey to fuck off because, again, he couldn't believe that the Islanders drafted him, and he thought that when when Bill Torrey called him, he thought it was Mike McWilliam playing a joke on him. Oh, so, is that? Right. <laughs> yeah, so he said, fuck off, Mac, and he hung up, and then Bob Nystrom called, and that was his favorite player, so then he just ate a lot of crow, and he's just like, oh my god, I just told Bill Torrey to fuck off. <laughs> well, he's probably, well, not very many guys will be able to say that going to the grave. Oh god, no. So, <laughs> so now, like you said, you're, you weren't a big NHL guy, you didn't know much about it, but when no. you go when you go to training camp with the Islanders, now this is they're coming off the dynasty teams and you're walking into a locker room with literally uh, multiple legends there. Like, do you have, do you know what you're really walking into? I mean, even though you're not a huge fan, you had to have known about their dynasty. No. 
Well, we did, you know, like, like during that summer, I, I did all of a sudden, you know, start to take some interest. Yeah. Where, 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 where is New York? You know, yeah. So yeah. you're, you're right. Like we started looking into that and then all of a sudden you started realizing that, uh, um, who these guys were and stuff. And I mean, like we weren't, we weren't, I wasn't stupid, you know, right. that it didn't take long to start figuring out like who these guys were, um, and and what they're coming in off to the Stanley Cups and 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 the history that they had and you know so I mean it, it it was it was a huge huge accomplishment I'm so proud that I was I I can say you know honestly to this day is that you know I have a, a strong allegiance to you know to Wayne Gretzky you know and it didn't matter which team that Wayne Gretzky played on I I was a fan of of that team but definitely. The New York Islanders are, are a very s- soft spot for me, and and I was just very fortunate. I just love, you know, saying that I'm still an Islander. Did you get to skate with any of the any of the legends, or, or did they keep the rookies sort of separated from them? No, they they kept us away from those guys. They didn't want us to to get involved with those guys at all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. You know, it's weird. I mean, I guess at a certain point. Maybe they mix it up, and maybe in, in your later camps you got to skate with some of them. But I, I was wondering if if Robbo and Rod Dahlman, fresh out of Prince Albert, winning the Memorial Cup, maybe got to skate a little bit with Mike Bossy and Brian Trottier. You know what, uh, Mike uh, Bossy was he he had that back injury, yeah. and uh, w- when we came to camp that year. He had a back injury. He never even participated. He tried to go for a skate, but he was kind of on the rehab, okay. and they were trying to get him back, but he never, ever came back out of that. But the other guys, like, uh, uh, you know, I, that was so fun that that first year, especially because we were just a bunch of, back in the day, the Islanders were drafting all these Western yeah. Hockey League tough guys, mm-hmm. and and uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, with Dean and Cush and you know, Duncan and, and, you know, there was, there was just so many guys that I could go through Mixter and I, so we would get to, we would get to the hotel there and uh, they'd have a great big 15 passenger van for us. And we would pile into that van and drive down to the, to their practice rink. And then, you know, it, it was just, everybody was just so happy and, and we were all the same and, there's such special memories. Uh, I just can't say enough about that group of people. I'll never forget them. Uh, I'll never forget those guys. That's great. I love hearing, and I, I love hearing the enthusiasm in your voice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you went back to Prince Albert. Uh, you built on your year the year before. You had a pretty massive year, 59 games, 41 points, two penalty minutes shy of 200, but that's okay. We'll let that one, uh, we'll let that one slide. And it's um, you're back. Bomber's back. Dave Manson's back and you got another defenseman who you alluded to earlier that played six games on that team. What is a, a young rich Pilon like in that, uh, in his first, first uh, go with uh, Prince Albert there? Well, you know what, Rich, Richie and I ended up fighting that, that year at camp too, you know, like it was uh, Richie was uh, we knew him from the midget Raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, he came out of St. Louis, just south here and at uh, 20 minutes just down the road and that, but um, he played with the midget Raiders. So us with the, with the big team, um, 
you know, we, we knew those guys. They were, you know, come out for practice every now and then, and Richie did too. And, I, and then at camp, we ended up getting into a fight, if I'm not mistaken, and, that, and we kind of went toe-to-toe there for a while and, and had a really good bout. You know, it, it was a really good one for her, but um, Richie was, was a really good guy, played the game hard. He, he was a, somebody that you really, it didn't matter if it was the first day of training camp, he would run you. You know, and, yeah. and uh, but but for some reason, nobody hated him for it. You know, it was just the way he played, and 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 he was such a good guy. So I mean, it was he he fit in really good. He was a really good Prince Albert Raider. I think the reason nobody hated him, and again, I'm just going to theorize here, because the game was so different back then. You guys were kids, but you played the game like men, and that was just part of the deal, and that was Richie's style, and. You know, if someone had a problem with it, you could go and fight him, and then when the fight's over, it's done with. I think uh, if that was nowadays, he'd be all over the papers, all over the internet, trying to hurt his teammates and everything. I think it's just, I think it's uh, some of the mentality of at the time compared to now, and I just think you guys had a different mindset back then. Well, we did, you know. I, and you know what, and, and maybe maybe it wasn't the right mindset too, you know. Like I, I often think back, to be honest with you, Joe, is that like a uh, I, I feel sorry for a lot of us, you know, I feel sorry for a lot of players there because there was some, some hell of a hockey players back there that kind of got locked into a, a style of game that was, you know, like, like it was part of growing up and gaining that experience factor, but sometimes got lost in that game. And, you know, those guys were, uh, we ne- we never thought past where we were. We never thought past this year and 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 then in year three where do i want to be today's kids now they're groomed they're they're groomed uh from hockey canada and and you know usa hockey they're they're groomed from 12 years old and and they're they're into speech classes and they're into a lot of these things and and you know sometimes i wonder if they really really love the game you know i I, i'd often like i'd like to talk to some kids that that had to do that at 12 years old and give up everything that they did. And we never did. We never right. gave up any other sports mm-hmm. and they have to give those up to, to play 11 months a year and maybe never experience a lot of those other things that like we used to. And I don't know, Joe, what you were like, you know, running around in creeks and rivers and doing stuff that you never should be doing. And, yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, yeah, that, of course. It, it, was, it was life. That yep. was life, you know? Yep. So I, it, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I like doing the show and talking to guys like you that played when you did because I get sort of nostalgic. Uh, you know, most of the guys I interviewed that, that played when you played were about the same age. And, uh, you know, even though you're on the other side of North America, I'm here, I'm sure we did a lot of the same things and, you know, stupid things that nowadays you wouldn't want your own kids doing, let's say. But I, I get nostalgic about it because it's definitely a different time. Oh, absolutely. You know, when my son, you know, went to the Western League there and everything else, you know, I, I, and, and even when he was growing up, uh, man, I, I'll be honest with you, the, and the game had changed, but it just, it just petrified me that he was going to end up listening to too many stories about his dad and how he played and, and if and then he wanted to, felt like he needed to get approval in my eyes you know like that kind of stuff and it, it just it scared me so much that you know i sometimes i think that maybe i took a little bit too much out of him you know and everything. 
but he's he's turned out to be a great kid and he's got a fire inside him just a different fire and uh, very proud of him for what he accomplished that's great. Well, I'm going to touch on Tyson a little bit later. We'll definitely talk about him. Uh, but I'm I'm always happy to hear proud dads talk about their kids. I, I'm one of those proud dads, so I love hearing that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. He had to slide over. He's out in the living room here already here, and I'm waiting to hear how the interview went and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that second season you fought two guys who you are very familiar with. If You may not have been at the time, but you later became familiar with them, both uh, Medicine Hat Tigers, and that's Dean Chenault and Robbie DeMaio. Do you remember those uh, scraps with those guys? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I remember, yeah, like old Sal there, he, he, was a, he, he was a tough little Italian, I'll tell you, you know, and he – but for a size pound for pound, man, he he was good. And and Sal's a great, great guy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and just just the, the salt of the earth and really good. You know, we, we had some really good battles. He he liked to he liked to throw them for yeah. a li- little guy that, you know, you'd think that, oh, I'm gonna kinda hang on here and there and tie guys up and get my little couple shots and then sneak out of here. You know, and yeah. that, no, he, he wanted to stand in there and that's in you know, we, we had a really good scrap there, too. And then Dino, uh, bigger guy, yep. you know, and stuff like that. Good shape. He was in really good shape. Um, we, we got into a, a real good tussle as well type thing. And that, like, like, like I said to you earlier on, Joe, like, there was so many guys that could fight. Yep. Like, everybody would fight. Like, it, it wasn't about, like, who the – there was a certain small group there with Bomber and Manson and – Rudy and Churla, you know, th- those guys were heavyweights. And but then after all, there was so many middleweights that it it that's what created the the toughness in, you know, in the team and in that at that that level of hockey and that that time of, of hockey. It, it was the middleweights yeah. that that were that were that would make teams so hard to play against. One guy I want to ask you about. Uh, because he, I mean, the guy had a tremendous career, NHL career, and, you know, he took a regular shift and he did a lot of different things, but I think for a guy as tough as he was, he sort of goes under the radar with a lot of people, and that's Mark Jansen's, and you fought him when he was with Regina, and I love Mark Jansen's. I'm happy that even though it was only a handful of games, he did play here on the island, but uh, I think he just goes under the radar with so many people, and you, you fought him in your second year. I don't know if you remember going with Mark. Yeah, no, I I don't. I remember uh-huh. fighting, and and I remember you know Mark being a big guy and yeah. stuff like that. He had a longer reach, and that he was he was he was tough to handle, mm-hmm. type thing and that. So it, the, the big thing about the you know scrapping back in the days and stuff like that. I guess speaking from myself, not right. not anybody else, is that I, I wasn't scared to get hit. Yeah. It, it didn't bother me to get punched. Mm-hmm. It, it was like because if I if I'm going to allow you to hit me once, I, I'm going to give you two. And, and it was like, I was quite content on that, probably to a fault, you yeah. know, and, and that was something there, but, uh, yeah, you're right. He, he, he did, he, he did fly underneath the radar. Mark was a, a guy that you, you didn't want to just take for granted by any means when he came into a pile. Now you fought two guys from New Westminster. One later became your teammate, and you fought his older brother. Um, I don't know if you remember fighting uh, both Todd and Dean. You and and luckily not in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God I would have been on a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> you remember fighting those guys? 
Yeah, you know what? Yes, I I do. You know, and I remember fighting Dean more than I they do Todd. You know, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but but Dean, another one, strong, yeah. just so physically strong, and and he even was when he was younger too. Um, you know, just just a guy that that he had a lot of power in in his punches. So when it, he had a good extension, you know, and I fought, you know. Bomber and I used to fool around and practice an awful lot, and he would. Bomber would always say to me, and, and this was a lot like like Dean used to, and that too, is that he says, "Don't, don't um, punch to his face, punch to the back of his head." Yeah. And and so to making sure that you got the extension all the way, you didn't want to just rabbit punch him and just touch him in the nose. You wanted to drive his nose to the back of his head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, no, it makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, Dean was like that. He mm-hmm. he was big and strong, and and when he when he threw his punches, they were they were powerful. And and you really need, when they he hit you, you knew you were hit with it. So you really had to make sure um, of making sure that you did a little bit more tying up. And this one wasn't always just swing for the fences and, and what happens in 30 seconds happens. So it was, you had to be a little bit more cagey fighting him. He was a tough dude. And after your fight, you probably didn't see it as he's going off the ice. Maybe you've seen it on video since then. He's going off the ice and instead of high-fiving his teammates, he's headbutting them and he doesn't have a helmet on and they do. So. Well, that, well, that just shows you what Dean was like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's fun. It's yeah. fun talking to him about these things because I think he gets a little embarrassed, but I think it's great. Yeah. It was just the time, you know, and uh, I tell him he's just enthusiastic. He calls himself an impetuous little mutant at the time, but uh, I tell yeah. him I think it's awesome. So, oh, yeah, he was good. He was really good. Um, one other guy I want to ask you about um, is Duncan McPherson, who who everybody that listens to the show and, and if you know, uh, Duncan's story is tragic and, um, you fought him in, um, when he was with Saskatoon. And then, uh, I think you later became his teammate, right? In Springy, you played with Duncan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was, uh, what were your impressions of Duncan? You know, I've been fortunate. Uh, I think it was Esquire magazine or one of those magazines I don't normally read did a story on him years ago. And, um, I had reached out to the author because I had, I don't have a lot of footage on him, but uh, I was so touched just, uh, you know, from reading what Linda McPherson, you know, her, her part of the story there and, and what she was saying, I was so touched. I'm like, I don't know if she'd want to see this stuff, but I just reached out to the author and I said, I have some video I'd like to send to her. Can you hook us up? And he was nice enough to do that. And, and we still talk to this day. And I always say Linda might be the toughest person that I know. And uh, so you, you got to fight Duncan, you got to play with him. What, what, what are you, uh, your impressions of Duncan McPherson? Well, you know what? I mean, like, you know, I, I would just assume not even talk about the fight because right. Dunk, yep. Dunk, Dunk was, was a great guy. And, and then I know that I've heard some of your pods before and acting guys that he was, you know, he beat to his own drum and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I really, you know, at, at times I, I really felt there was a lot of unfair expectations that was put on Duncan being a first round draft pick and stuff like that. You know, he, he was a really good, uh, a really good player in, in the Western league. Uh, and, and then I think that, you know, no on fault of his own we we all are going to tap out at a certain level of, of where we are in our skill sets no matter how hard we work we can kind of chisel out a little bit more at times but we're we're going to tap out 
and that we all can't just keep working and to be Connor McDavid's. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Dunk was like that, and you know, and, and he was such a really, really nice guy. Uh, we got along very well in, in the dressing rooms. Um, he wasn't a guy that you you would you would you would hang out with an awful lot because right. he would like to do his own things. He was into his biking and and off road biking and hiking and <clears throat> excuse me and doing stuff like that. And I I just remember it it was so tragic and 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 for so long and 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 I remember doing a tribute there um, in Saskatoon. And, and, you know, and, and I presented, you know, a bouquet of flowers to his mom and stuff like that oh, wow. and, you know, when that was all going on there and that. Yeah. And you're right. It was, those things just didn't happen, you yeah. know, back in our day, because you're right, but there was no internet back then. You yeah. know, we, we didn't, we didn't get the news 24 seven, you know, every single second of the day and, and, and hear about tragedies. That was real life. If you heard about something, it was real life, and it touched you. and And, and Duncan McPherson is just a, was was just a great guy. Yeah. Um, so now, uh, next season, you go into your second training camp with the Islanders. Um, now, also your first training camp with Terry Simpson as as the new head coach. So that was a major difference. But now, since it was your second camp, did you find yourself with the veterans a little bit more, or how did that camp differ from your first one? You know, it it didn't differ an awful it didn't differ an awful lot more. I think their structure was 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 that way. You know, the young guys until you got yourself in there. And I like, of course, their uh, their first round draft picks were all you know babied along and stuff like that. They got they got in there with them and everything else. But it was um, it it didn't change much um, it, for the camp itself type yeah. thing. And uh, when you went back to Prince Albert, now uh, Bomber is gone, Dave Manson's gone. You're the holdover. Richie Pilon's now a regular, and you got a couple of uh, young guys coming along. Um, did your role change now? Because you were kind of the guy, like the veteran guy, uh, and again, not just as an as an enforcer, but that was part of your job. But now you're the guy. There's no Bomber. There's no Dave Manson, and a couple of the guys I want to ask you about, guys like Darren Kimball and Reed Simpson. Uh, did, were you the guy that, not that you're going to say they looked up to you, but were you the guy maybe they came to for advice or for tips about the league and the, and the other players they might be going at it with? Well, you know, there was an awful, there was a lot of talk, you know, in dressing rooms and different things like that. And back then, like, you know, like we were always young and stupid and that's, you know, so we, we would do an awful lot of like, some of our practices were tough too, you know, yeah. like they, and our and our coaching staff, you know, allowed that stuff to happen a little bit too, and not and not saying that we that that it happened all the time. It was so insignificant, um, but you know, like you're right. I mean, there there's always a little bit of an experience respect factor. I think you know, and that, yeah. I I did with Davey and 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 uh, Bomber and stuff like that when I came in the league, and I and I think that there was probably a little bit of that as well from those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what, it, it, teams were so good back then. Yeah. Um, our, our Prince Albert Raiders were a very strong organization at that time 
Um, we we had a lot of great leadership people that were on there, uh, lead by example, do it what they needed to do, but the, we treated each other very, very well. And so those guys got, got into the dressing room and there was no issues with them at all. Uh, tell me about playing with the young Sean Byram in Prince Albert. Bicey, yeah. <laughs> well, you had to talk a little slower. <laughs> uh, you, you didn't want to get caught with Bicey there in a seat because, boy, he could sure drag out a long conversation. But I'll tell you. <laughs> he's great. You know, I texted Bicey a few times watching uh, Bowen play here yeah. in the World Juniors and stuff like that when of course he's got his mug there and his yeah. wife and everybody's on the on the TV there and stuff like that and he's drinking I'm sure it was just Coke I'm sure of oh, it. sure yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> but Bizey Bizey was a really good guy he had such a great sense of humor and that and he was another one that that liked to to mix it up that much he didn't he he never ever went looking for it right you know mm-hmm. and and sometimes that guys would be giving him some stuff and i'd be sitting there going come on bizey you know like <laughs> give it to him you know like and stuff but you know bizey didn't have that 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 killer instinct mm-hmm. with him and stuff like that and he was a good player you know his points were, were good and and uh you know, he, he was just a, a, a really good player type thing and that, but just kind of flew underneath the radar a little bit. I, I wish he, he would have taken maybe a little bit of, you know, Kimball's, uh, you know, uh, toughness and, yeah. and just to, if we could inject it into him a little bit because I think Sean was a big guy too and that, and I think that he could have played in, in the league if, if he would have had just a little bit more of that intensity. Um just want to talk about Kimby for a second because he's again I love him he's one of my favorite players of all time and just as you talked about with uh, Bomber uh, you got to see really a rookie Darren Kimball in the Western League and um, being a veteran yourself now you're watching this kid trying to make a name for himself Uh, what was it like watching him really I would imagine do the job most nights like going out looking for trying to establish himself yeah, definitely. You know, and, and he wanted to. Like, he he wasn't a guy that was just gonna de- fly underneath the the radar and that. He wanted to be a tough guy, and and uh, it was very evident right from the get go. And I think he had a lot of pims those years and stuff of that first year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, you know what? Can be learned sometimes the hard way. You know, yeah. he definitely give it to some guys, but man, he took some beatings too. Yeah, and. Uh, but it never deterred him. Like you could just tell by after those things happened that uh, he he was gaining experience, and and you knew eventually this his toughness and everything else and his intensity level that he had was was second to none, and he he was going to be a heavyweight for sure. Now, one guy I want to ask you about who I don't maybe has never dropped the gloves, and it's someone who I think is the second best American player of all time, and you got to see him you know, really uh, like a, a baby deer in a way, like, you know, get his legs out in the Western League. Um, Mike Medano, what was it like watching a young Mike Medano play? I think I asked uh, Bizey the same thing when I interviewed him. What was that like seeing this? Could you just tell he was going to be a Hall of Fame player? Not that first year. No. Not... <laughs> he, he, like, Mikey, you're right. Yeah, his, his eyes were were as big as saucers and stuff like that. And he came in with those braces on. Yeah. And, and, and I know that uh, Mikey and, and, and I and uh, Pat Alenyuk played together on a, on a line there for a while and stuff like that. And, 
and I was kind of put on that line, I think, you know, to make sure that things didn't get out of hand with him and stuff. And, uh, but I, I remember like, you know, Patty and I, Patty and I are still really good friends. And, and, you know, there was a few times when, uh, you know, I, I was kind of going off the reservation saying, okay, that, that guy is going to get her next shift. That guy's going to get her. And Mikey, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, Mike, you make sure you get your guy. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to get suckered from behind. So I don't care what happens. You make sure you hang on to a guy and, and stuff. And I remember a time that we were in the dressing room and, Pat was mad at somebody too, and 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 I was I said, well let let's 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 do them, Pat. Let's next time we're out on the ice in this period that we're gonna do them. So we went over to Mikey there, and he, no, no, my mom will kill me. My mom will kill me if I wreck these braces. <laughs> so we ended up we ended up having to take uh, tape, and we had to tape his helmet on to make sure that they couldn't get his helmet off. Oh stuff. my! <laughs> in between periods of that, oh, that was so funny. Yeah. Oh. As a parent of someone who had a kid that had braces, I completely agree with the Medano parents that, yeah, it's the one thing you don't want to mess up are the braces. Oh, yeah, man. But I'll tell you what. He was skilled, and but his, his speed and his skating was second to none. And it was second to none in the NHL. And, and it was when he came in as a young 16-year-old and stuff like that. It was He was something to watch for sure. The um... – the home game, the Ken Dryden thing that uh, he put out and then it came out on video when they, uh, they were featuring Kevin Kaminsky and they showed, they were comparing killer and Mike Medano and they just showed Mike skating. And that wasn't his first year. That might've been his second year or so. And he just was so fluid and he just, it looked like compared to everyone else, he was just gliding out there. Like his feet weren't even touching the ice. Yes. His, his edge, edge controls. He he was just one of those guys, you know, like I, you don't teach us. You don't teach Connor McDavid how to skate like that, or else whoever Connor McDavid's skating coach would be a, a billionaire today. You know, yeah, so yeah. It's, those guys are just built with those edge controls and stuff like that. And and Mikey was like that. He was way ahead, really way ahead of of the curve. He was yeah. probably one of the guys that I don't remember anybody being able to skate like that back in the day. Never. Yeah, I give him full marks. I I have been called biased before, and I will say it till I'm blue in the face. Pat Lafontaine is, in my opinion, is the best American-born player ever, and I give Medano a close second. But I got to go with Patty. Oh yeah, yeah, Patty. Patty was good too. I'll tell you. <laughs> so Darren Kimball can't do any interviews without talking about his rivalry with Tony Twist. But uh, Rod Dahlman happened to fight Tony Twist twice that year uh, as well. You remember your fights with Twister? Yes, yeah, definitely. We had some great battles and stuff like that, you know. Um, I, I remember going into uh, somebody fought in Saskatoon. We were in the playoffs, I think it was, Joe. Um, yeah. And somebody got into a fight, in the, and uh, whoever it was on my team didn't do very well. And it was like, son of a bitch, you know, with this. uh, So I seen Tony go into the corner to to pick up the gloves. And I, uh, I jumped ahead of whoever was going in there. And I said, I got him and Mm. stuff. And and it was just a, all it was back in the day is that all I had to do was just give him a little bit of a bump and and away we went type thing. And we went toe to toe and man, I'm telling you, I was, 
I, I just about had him. I just about had him going down. He didn't go down, but, yeah. you know, I definitely hit him a, a few times, and he hit me a few times there too. But it was it was a really good battle going back and forth. So uh, when I uh, when you confirmed the interview, I did reach out to Kimby and I asked him uh, what his uh, memory of you would be. And that leads me into uh, another guy on uh, Saskatoon that you fought twice that year, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs. Later again, became your teammate. And uh, Kimby said, Kerry Clark was doing the moonwalk after he scored, and I'm next to Roddy on the bench. He jumps over the bench and meets him at center ice. That's when I knew he was all in. So do you remember uh, remember the incident that Kimby's talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we all knew that that, that, that the Sharks would like to do that. So when I, and it was, it was said long before that game puck first dropped. If that guy scores a goal, he doesn't make center ice. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was it was evident, you know, type thing and that. And I was on the bench there and that and and uh, he ended up scoring and he started to wind up there and that and I said, These guys, whoever we had out on the ice, I don't remember back in the day who they were, but nobody was moving. Yeah. And it was like, You've gotta be kidding me. <laughs> so, so, it was, so yeah, eventually, yeah. I hopped over and, and met him there and that, and we ended up getting at her and stuff like that at center ice and that, and that was in PA there too. So it was a, it was good. It was a, it was a good battle there too. Sure, he was an awful lot like like Wendell, you know. He yeah. Was off those guys, and his older brother Donnie was yeah. was like that too. You know, they I don't know the the Clarks were very very strong guys and stuff too. So yeah, old Sharky, yeah, he, he's one of my favorites. <laughs> So now we get to 87, 88. You're done with junior. Now you're in, uh, you're in your third camp with the Islanders. And I get to ask you about um, this particular game. You know, I've, I've seen, um, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you how many hours of fights I've watched and how many games I've seen. And if there's a white well of a hockey game for me that I wish I could get on tape, it was the rookie game that you guys played against the Rangers on September 22nd, 1987. And that was a game where um, I, I ask everybody about it who was uh, who participated in it. I think the first period took over an hour to play, and uh, you fought Jimmy Laddish twice in the game. Uh, I know Dean fought uh, Rudy Poshek twice. I know Mickey fought Mark Tenorti. Uh, Kerry Clark fought Donnie Herxeg. So uh, do you remember that game? Oh, God. Yeah, you know what? The, when you talk about that you know on certain fights and i say geez i don't remember that one yeah that game will never ever if if i don't i hope and i i'm old old and ready just to pass on here not that i never ever forget that game <laughs> <laughs> it was the most fun uh of, of, of a group of guys that bonded together and and we were having fun it yeah. was. It wasn't about making the NHL. It wasn't about anything like that anymore. It was just things got spiraled so fast, out of control, that it was just a bunch of Western Hockey League guys out there on a team and just having a lot of fun. So, <laughs> but yeah, there was a there. That was a great freaking period. <laughs> <laughs> Dean tells me that uh, getting back to Sharky. In the game, Sharky scores a goal. He does the moonwalk, and he looks over at the Rangers bench, and they're passing over a jar of Vaseline to each guy, and they're just Vaselining. <laughs> they're greasing their faces up, ready to go. 
<laughs> oh yeah, you know what? Because the Rangers, that you know, Olive, you know more yeah. than I do that that rivalry that 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 was going on between those two teams, and 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 you know what? Nobody told us, yeah. you know, about this rivalry. You know, like it was just we you kind of knew and everything else. But you know, they had they had some guys that were too that were Western League guys and stuff like that. that you know, so you kind of knew already that who they were and 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 that they were tough too mm. so it, it it just i don't even know how it all even spiraled out of out of control it, it, but but like i say it was one of the most funnest games that i can remember in all of my junior career now you one of the things i mean obviously you know how much i respect you and everything and one of the things that that i you don't see it anymore, and obviously the game has changed. But you actually had seven fights in that preseason, if and those are the only ones I've seen documented. You, who knows? You may have had more uh, after that rookie game. The next night, you played the Rangers again. You fought Jeff Bloomberg, Jeff Bloomberg, and Ron Talakoski, and then you also had fights that preseason. You picked on little guys, Mike Stuthers, Dave Brown, and John Cordick. I mean, this is a <laughs> This is a guy that wants to make the team. I mean, man, oh man, that is some preseason you had there. Well, yeah, and again, remember, we're going to go back to like sometimes my emotions got ahead of my brains and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like I said before, is that it? And and there was probably a lot of guys like this. So it's it's when you say I, I don't like to, you know, and honestly, I don't talk an awful lot about. This is probably the most I've talked about fighting. Mm-hmm. In, in years and years and years, maybe decades and yeah. stuff like that, Joe. Um, so you, you don't get you don't get a lot of this out of me very often. I'll tell you. I appreciate um, this, Roger. I, yeah. I really do. I, I do. This but is uh, this is great. Those guys were uh, like, if, if I was going, I wanted to fight. I, I did. I wasn't scared of people, and I, you know, maybe that was a, a downfall to me and that, and and I wanted to try them. And I remember fighting Johnny Cordick and, and son of a bitch, did he give me a licking? Man, it was, uh, and uh, I, I said to guys on the bench, I think it might have been Mixter or something like that, I'm going to try that guy, and guys were, ooh, 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 ooh I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and and son of a gun, yeah, you know, and, and Cordick could throw both hands, but he was more or less just a lefty. Yeah. And, uh, and and I couldn't get, a, I couldn't get, a, I couldn't get my rhythm. And he was tagging me, um, way more than I w- was hitting him and stuff like that, and uh, he didn't hit hard. You know, John John Cordick didn't hit hard. Yeah. Um, it, but it was, but he was so fast and stuff like that. But he, but he hit hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really your fault because had you been a bigger fan in the Western League, you would have known all about him for when he was with Portland. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> I. I paid attention a little bit more <laughs> well I, obviously i have to I, I couldn't have done this interview without uh hitting up mick for some uh some comments so he gave me a few things oh, and uh the one thing he said about this preseason he said uh, i only played with dolly those four months in springy we met in training camp and hit it off right away we kind of made a pact to fight every tough guy we played against in the preseason we both dressed against montreal and he fought cordic first shift and i fought steve fletcher Every fight I saw of his was wide open and toe-to-toe. He took some shots from Cordick, and when I got to the box, I noticed he was bleeding from the inside of his right ear. He ended up in the hospital. The biggest thing I remember was Bob Nystrom staying with him and then brought him home to make sure he was okay overnight. You remember that, that all that stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bobby Nystrom there really uh, stayed the whole time and and genuinely cared. Yeah, like he uh, he was uh, even back then we didn't know them, but he was such uh, an honest individual. Like I, I talk about David Manson and and the family that he has yeah. that has raised. Uh, his kids are fantastic. You'd never know that that who who they are, and uh, and Bobby Nystrom was that type of guy. He was just a guy that just cared about people. Now, you know, again, you go, you're turned pro now. You're in Springy. I mean, this is not a bad rookie season. You got 59 games, 26 points. You know, Mick Mick really put it to you because you would think most teams 355 penalty minutes would be able to lead the team, but uh, that was your total. Mick had 372 that year, so I wasn't really nice of him, I guess, to let you get the team lead there. But you you had a pretty tough team. You had you, you had Mick, you had Duncan, uh, Cush was there, uh, Dale Henry, Gord Paddock was there, Vern Smith, and you even had the Colonel there for eight games. So what was yeah. that like, that whole rookie season there with uh, a bunch of, really, it looks like a bunch of Western leaguers. Well, you know what, like, honestly, is that that year um, with, with those guys, I, I sometimes compare it to, I'm not sure which team was tougher, the Prince Albert Raiders, which they talk about as being one of the, you know, I don't know, it got rated here in the top 10 all-time Western Hockey League teams the other day. Um, but I don't know which team was tougher, Springfield Indians or that team. And what what a group of guys, you know, to play with and that. But, geez, not, not very smart. Not a very smart team. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think your last year in Springfield, which, of course, we're going to touch on, that last season in Springfield, I think, was maybe the toughest team. I mean, obviously – Prince Albert, you know, Bomber doesn't take a backseat to anybody, but I think in terms of sheer numbers, that Calder Cup team, when I rattle off the names to you, you're going to be like, holy shit, you, you maybe you don't realize it as you're living it day to day, but it was a pretty sick team you had there. Um, what was it like playing for Gordy Lane? Gordy, Gordy was, was, a, was a funny guy, you know, like he was very intense and, and uh, but you know what? I, I'm Gordy was a kind of a guy that, that, you know, definitely had his favorites and I wasn't one of them, you know, and I don't know why, you know, I wasn't one of his favorites. I didn't really care too much. I just did my, did my stuff. And, uh, but, but he was kind of a, a coach that was, um, he was a guy that was still a player, you know, and he hadn't separated himself yet. He was, he just came out of, playing there with the Stanley cup rings. And, and then now I'm going to be a coach and, and, and there's a big difference, yeah. you know, and, and you know what, but that he taught us an awful lot of stuff. And I still say to this day, you know, that Gordy Lane would has taught me how to receive and, and pass pucks. And to this day, I still use a lot of the things that, that he did, you know, to, uh, to get us to that there, but he used to stand in the corner, and and put us in a little half moon at the beginning of practice there. And he would take slap shots at us. And and sometimes they were, you know, six, seven inches off the day. And, and he would be so mad, you know, if you, you didn't pick that up. <laughs> and I remember having bruises around your your ankles and your, your you know, above your skate blade there and, or above your skates, you know, of, of having bruises after and that. But I'll tell you, by the end of the year, man, could 
it didn't matter. We could pick up pucks out of our feet and, and on our hands like like nobody could. <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, there's a video of this on YouTube that I'm sure has been viewed a bunch of times, and I, and there's no way around not talking about this, but let, let me tell you what Mick said about this. In that Fredericton Springy brawl, he is the one, I don't think you can see it, but they get him in the box and he scales the glass and starts it again. He always told me you take your guy out and then skate around and smoke anyone standing on the other team. No rules in a brawl except all your guys win or are on top. So, Roddy, tell me about that Fredericton brawl. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we it was a chippy game to begin with and stuff like that. And and I'm not sure what the hell happened in that, but there was uh, some scrums going on and, and, and we ended up getting into a fight. Uh, me and another guy there and not and, and we got thrown into the penalty box and but the other guys that were out on the ice there they didn't separate they were still milling around and then all of a sudden some stuff happened we were over in the penalty box there and that and and all of a sudden you know he's you know Gordy's over on the side over there and everybody's kind of muddling around and pretty soon yeah we ended up getting into a one bench clearing brawl and we were fighting down and we were standing on the cement and, and guys were fighting and falling down. Like, uh, like <laughs> we had uh, like plastic blades out on the ice and, and then it transpired. We went back out on the ice and, and it was, it was actually scary. You know, and you, Joe, you said that you have kids in Acton. And, and I think back now that, you know, if you would have had, parents in that stands that were there to watch all of that and seen that happening it's actually something that's scary that i'm I'm glad is out of the game because there could have been a lot of people that got seriously hurt there or not and there was one i I forget what his name was that dale there headbutted yeah shock me yeah 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 like that that was like well you know uh dale there now he's from prince albert here i mean like like Jacques headbutted him, but he yeah. just didn't realize that that old five head that that Dale had was going to come back at him there and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> the old Dale lived, lived in the West Flat here in PA, which is our tough area type thing and that. So yeah, it, it was a really really ugly looking brawl for sure. Yeah, listen, I love I love hockey fights. I'll, I'll defend hockey fights to anyone. I, I've actually never been a huge fan of the bench clearing brawls only because you got 40 guys out on the ice maybe there's one or two fights going on and there's a lot of milling around and it's just to me it was always a recipe for someone to get hurt now this brawl however had a lot more action than most of them do so i'm not gonna sit here and say i don't enjoy watching it but that was a little crazy but for the most part it was always the tough guys squaring off with the tough guys and you know you could always get those in the single fights anyway you know but uh uh, you know, again, it was the time, and I, I think that was sort of the the mid-80s or so, late 80s. That's when that stuff was being phased out anyway, and you'd never see anything like that nowadays. Oh, God, no. No, you'd be suspended forever. They might kick you out of the hockey forever. Like, I'm not yeah. even sure. Well, yeah, I think some... all, all the guys are Facebook friends now and Instagram buddies, so I don't think they would do that anyway. Oh, so. God, yeah. I... You know what? I, I get a kick out of here. And you know what? There's some big, tough guys in NHL. Like, yep. you know, when I do watch, I think, geez, uh, you know, when you, you see in a scrap or something like that going, oh, the freaking guy knows what he's doing. Like, yeah. you know, I, they, no question about it. But I, it, it just still drives me crazy to, in today's game that 
you get into a fight and then you pat the other guy like good job like well where in the world do i want to pat somebody that was just punching me in the face <laughs> i don't get that i that's not my idea of like why i'm fighting yeah I, i'm fighting because i want to hurt you yep. like and it's not a oh, good job you know the, the yeah. fans like that one you know like it's just uh that just drives me nuts yeah i can promise you you're not alone on that one so uh <laughs> So Stan Fischler has written a series of books called Bad Boys, and I think it was the second one where he did a, a chapter on Mick. And I tried to find I know I have it here somewhere. I couldn't find it today. But in the book, he was talking about um, a time when you guys were in Springfield and you went to New Haven. And when you guys were getting off the bus, the media was there, I guess, and the guy camera was there. And they're asking you about Bomber. And I think you said, if Bomber comes near me, I'm going to hit him with my stick, whatever it was. Um, do you remember that? Do you remember going into New Haven and actually them interviewing you about facing Bomber? Well, you know what? I, I don't, honestly, I don't remember the, the interview type thing. I remember there was some hype about it. Yeah. Um, I knew Bomber was there, you yeah. know, and stuff like that being sent down. I think it was from LA, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Bomber, like, obviously we played together for, for a few years and stuff like that too. So, you know, yeah, we ended up getting into a scrap that game and stuff. And, and actually my wife was down there at the time and, uh, it was right just before Christmas and Bomber and I got into a scrap and, and Bomber and I wasn't the first time, you know, we, we fought quite a few times in, in practices cause you know, things would get a little bit heated in front of the net or this or that type thing and that. So we kind of squared off a few times, but you know, after the game, it was really funny because then, you know, I, you know, we're, I'm talking to him after and I'm saying, so are you heading back to LA or what are you doing? Nah, I'm just going to stick around here. And I knew he just got sent down type yeah. thing for the little bit. And so I said, oh, well, why don't you drive down to Springy here not, and come and spend the Christmas with, uh, with Todd and, and Mick and my wife and I type thing. And, I, and Todd's wife, girlfriend might've been down at that time too. So, yeah. but yeah, he ended up coming down and we had Christmas supper just a day later. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you yeah. know what? It's great that you say that. Cause I think, you know, you, you're, you're a guy, you did the job, you understand the role better than anyone. And I've been fortunate enough that I I've known enough of you guys where you kind of let me in the circle, let's say. So I, I understand the role maybe better than a lot of fans do. And like, I think for some people to hear that, they'd probably think that we're all out of our minds that you could, first of all, that you'd fight a guy that you played with for two seasons that you're buddies with. And then not only that, the next day or two days later, you're celebrating Christmas together. And I, I totally get it, but a lot of people might think we're out of our minds. Yeah, no, I definitely, you know, instead of, well, maybe not nowadays. I, no. I don't know. I don't even know if they're really mad at each other or not anymore. Yeah. So, but it's like back then. Yeah. In, in that game, in that particular moment with him and I, yeah, we were trying to hurt each other. <laughs> so yeah. It was, yeah, it was funny. Well, I'm going to give you some more words from uh, Mr. Vakoda here. Uh, in springy, Dolly made me tougher. If I thought I was going to have a night off, it was not going to be with him in the lineup. He made every player accountable for their play. He was a great leader and an even better teammate. Anyone that played with him would say the same. I know he played and fought many a time with a separated shoulder, and there was no way I would ever consider using a sore hand or something else to miss a game or not fight. He just made you not want to bail. Uh, that's, that's pretty high praise from, uh, from a guy who's, I, I, you know, I consider him a legend here. You know, I love Mick and, uh, he's a good friend and I love him and, you know, you were fortunate enough to play with him. And I know, I mean, he's just one of many guys that think very highly of you, but, uh, that's gotta make you feel good to hear something like that. 
Well, absolutely. It, it does, you know. I mean, they, people would be very, you know, would be lying if they don't, you know, don't say that they, they don't care, you know. Yeah. And I, we go through life that we want to be, we want to be liked, you know. And, 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 we're, and lots of times people are not going to like you. And, but you got to do your part and do as best as you possibly can. And, you, and you, if you treat people right and, and everything else, and they don't like you after, well, you can walk away with your head up high because you've done your job. But yeah. it is nice to hear, and, and Mick and I did have a, you know, a really special relationship living together. You know, it, it was a lot of fun with Mick around. Was, oh, man, there there's stories there that we can't go on podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Antics were unbelievable. And that, and, but you know what? In the moment, they were a lot of fun, and, and, and we were kids, and... Um, yeah, I, I think the world of Mick too. We had a really special bond and stuff. And and you're right. It's there was times when you know I didn't play the game. You know I, I played too hard at times, and I and I didn't think about the future. And I think that was a real downfall for me. And I think Mick Mick thought about that stuff a little bit. You know, uh, he he didn't always just get into uh, stand and rock him, sock him, and go back and forth and that. You know, he. He kind of tied up and he did certain things and he would flip guys over, you know, and different, you know, like, so he was thinking about longevity and, and, and when you think back about it now, he was very smart and, and, uh, and I wish I would have learned a lot more of that from him for sure. If, if Mick's listening right now, he probably chuckled when you called him very smart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Write that down because I knew you'd ask me about Mick. So I, I I put down here very smart just so he'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of my favorite questions that I get hey, to hey, ask. You want to, talk, you want to talk about a story here? Like, yeah. You, you talk about very smart Mick. Yeah. You know, we were we rented a house, um, Paul Fenton's place there in Springy out in West Springfield. And uh, Todd McClellan and, and I and him lived together. So anyway, we... <laughs> we we went to this the house and 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 we all numbskulls lost our keys or we forgot the keys to get into the house so we had the garage door opener and our little pinto that we bought or whatever that piece of crap was and so we're in the garage and we and we thought well at least we can get in the side door but somebody had locked it which who knows who so we're sitting there going okay well now what so we're going okay well we got to smash a window type thing and that so we're going to have to Let's take a look around and see which window is the least one that we're going to have to pay for. You know, it's going to be the on us. And so Todd and I kind of walked up to the front, and uh, we didn't see any more. Todd or Mick went around to the back. So we went, Todd and I ended up being back in the garage. I'm making a long story here. No, oh, go ahead. Keep going. We, we were in the, in the garage, and we're standing by the door thinking, well, do we kick this door in, or what do we do here? And all of a sudden, we hear a smash, and it was like the window smashes, and freaking Mick kicked in the garage door window. <laughs> we were already in the garage. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I didn't even know. I said, it's a freaking window. Did, did you look through it? Like, <laughs> he Todd and I standing there? Like, <laughs> Oh, I hope he's hearing this. Oh, I, I hope so too. I hope so too. Oh, and all the stories he told me in, in our three episodes, he neglected to say that one. Although, listen, it's probably because he forgot because he did explain how he had to finally learn how to, uh, you know, budget his money because I forget exactly what he was saying. I, I forget who it was. 
that maybe I'm going to say Dale Henry maybe had to teach him how to like budget his money because he didn't realize that he had to. He, you know, he didn't realize he wasn't getting paid over the summer. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so uh, no, I love him. I, I swear to God, I love that man. He's a great guy. Yeah. So this is the question I love asking everybody. How did you learn that you were getting called up to the Islanders the first time? Uh, you know what? It was like, it was funny too, because, um, Mick and I, we ended up, we ended up playing in, in our, well, in my first game, Mm -hmm. I think he he got called up earlier than I did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was trying to think there. I I remember it was up in, in, in Hartford. So, you know, we, uh, I, I, I think, was it Gordy Lane? I think it was Gordy Lane that or was it Jimmy Roberts? Well, it would have been Gordy Lane this season. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Thank you. So, you know, so Gordy Lane just, you know, he just calls you into the offices normally and, you know, and and, and tells you that you're going up and and uh <clears throat> so I'm all excited and everything else and driving up there. And, you know, Simpson was the coach and, and I knew Mick there already and that and and it it was so surreal. Um you know, getting there and walking into, into the dressing room and, and the guys that were on that team, um, the veterans mm-hmm. were Dennis Pot then the guys like that. Now I know about hockey. Now yeah. mm-hmm. I, I know what the Islanders are all about in the NHL and all that stuff. And, and they made you feel so good. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they made you feel like you were part of those four Stanley cups and and you were a, a brother and i remember coming in there and at and and not knowing what to expect and um you know and of course mick was there you know and and came across right away and gives me the big hug and stuff like that that you know that we're here we are two two guys from old springy and that and we're up in the show there together and that and and it was just fantastic and and thinking like just like normal you're you're on a team that you're uh a uh, guy to just getting called up, you're going to sit on the bench and uh, get a few shifts here and there and uh, do your thing. And and uh, son of a bitch, if if you didn't start the game, and I think that was a little bit of a tradition that the Islanders did. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, the guy was starting and everything else. And they always played you with good players. Yep. You know, I expected that I was going to go up and play with Mick and, and somebody else. And, and no, I ended up playing with uh, Miko Makala and uh, – and Brian Troche to start yeah. the game and that. And it was, it was great, you know, and, and, and Trotz, or, you know, Trotz was a really good guy, yeah. you know, he, he, in his own way, he was a quiet guy and everything else at, at times, but he was really good. And I ended up scoring my first game and stuff like that. And, and it was just fantastic to, to be able to, to do that. And, and to be able to share that with Mick was just, it was just, just, it was just surreal. Well, you knew that I knew that you scored that game. So now I, I'm hoping for a little play-by-play. Give me a description of the goal. Oh, man, did I dangle him? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. You know, the older I get, you know, the, the better it oh, is. Oh, absolutely. Know? Absolutely. No, you went end-to-end, right? Yeah, no. But, you know, in saying all that, you know, it, it ended up being a pretty nice play. And it just it was just fortunate enough. Like, back then, you know, the, the systems weren't like they are today, where there's one guy forechecking and two guys back. And everything is so structured and, and so regimented. Back then, it was a little bit of 
you needed hockey sense. You needed a, that ability to move around. And, and uh, yeah, and definitely, you know, Brian Troche and, uh, and Nico Makla, you know, kind of a nice little play coming out of the corner, a little drop pass and a quick pass over. Um, to me, coming into the middle there, I think it was by Nico. I don't know who the first and second passes were. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. A shot on, as I tell my son Tyson here, and as I say, you know, the best goalie ever to play was Mike Liute. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and, Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and I always say, like, you know, nobody could ever beat him on the five hole, and that's exactly where I shot on him. And so, so I think it was the only goal he ever gave up. Yeah, that could be. That's yeah, right. I think there it was. <laughs> and, and I mean, all kidding aside, any of us that have seen that saw Mike Lee would play, he was a pretty damn good goalie. So you didn't score off some sieve there. You scored off, off a pretty good goalie that had a great career. Yeah, no, but you know what? Uh, you know what? I got the one and that's all I got yeah. in, in, uh, in, in, in the NHL. And, and it's something where I'm very proud of and, and stuff. So it's uh, still got it hanging downstairs on my wall beside the, uh, my my WHL puck and my son's WHL puck, so it's fantastic. You have one more NHL goal than ninety nine percent of the world's population, so I'm glad that you're proud of it. Yeah, that's good. Oh yeah, yeah. And and actually, the three roommates all scored their first goal that year. Mick told me, obviously, I knew you scored your first game. I didn't know about Todd McClellan scoring in his first game. I'm sure I watched it, but it didn't register. And uh, Mick scored his first goal in his third game. Yes. In fact, Mick scored that game, didn't he? Uh, that might have been the same game. Yeah, it was his third yes. game. I you have what? I have the the goals on uh, DVD. I'd have to. I, you would think I would have watched them before this, but you know what, Joel? I I do believe that that Mick scored that game too. I scored early, and then he scored. I think in the third period, if I'm not mistaken. I so we both right. got yeah. our first goals yep. that same game. Yeah, like I, I even remember they didn't have the regular play-by-play guy. Jason McDonald didn't do the game. Uh, Spencer Ross did the game. I know they called you Brad Dahlman at one point. Like, I remember the dumbest shit, but it sticks with me for a while. Ah, freaking Mick. Just, you know, now I think about it, he just couldn't let me have one game. You know, like, always showing me up. He's selfish. Yeah. He's just very selfish. <laughs> now, you played three games with the Islanders uh, that year. Uh, no fights. Uh, I know in the, the Hartford game, you and Kevin Deneen had words. Uh, and again, my I don't remember the other games, but did you come close to having a fight? Did you have words with anybody else? You know what? No, no, I didn't. Um, not that I remember. I remember that very first game there with Deneen. We got two minutes or uh, two, four minutes or something like that, maybe mm-hmm. for just wasting time. I think yeah. it was more than that. He, he didn't really want to go. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, uh, I think I'm not sure why or whatever type thing and that, but uh, he didn't, there was an awful lot of talk in there and that you couldn't get even close to him type yeah. thing. And that. Yeah. Uh, you finished the year in Peoria, if I'm not mistaken. You played eight games with Peoria, seven points, 18 pims. Um, how'd you end up with Peoria and uh, was, was Springfield season over and they sent you to Peoria? That's right. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, we didn't make the playoffs. Was it the, our, our first two yeah. years? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, we didn't make the playoffs. So I was done. But uh, the, Bill Torrey didn't, uh, he called and he and he didn't want, he didn't want to call me up, but he wanted me to continue to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, in case that uh, things happen in the playoffs or whatever type thing for them. And so he sent me to Peoria to, to continue on down there. 
and uh, that was a lot of fun. Like I, I tell you, like it was it was a different league completely. You know, I I still knew a lot of guys. It was actually surprising when I went down there, the guys that I knew. But mm-hmm. um, a lot easier league type thing, and that it was wasn't as structured. It, it was uh, it, it definitely wasn't the the, the 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 American Hockey League by any means. Right. And uh, you played with uh, Moose Glenn Johannesson there, correct? Big Moose, yeah, absolutely, yeah. He was he did a little bit of a stint with us in springy type mm-hmm. thing and that, and then uh, and then he went down down to Peoria there too. So yeah, yeah, big Moose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so like had a lot of guys, you know, but in, in on that team and stuff like it was. Uh, Jesus, who else was there? Oh no, I'm thinking of the San Diego when yeah, I yeah, we're going to talk about dude. San Diego. Yeah, no, the only all... other uh, the only other guy that uh, that I saw with Islander ties on Peoria that even played remotely physical is uh, Mike Neal. Oh yeah, Mikey, Mikey, uh, you know, yeah. Mikey and I are still friends, you know, and stuff like that. He just lives over in Manitoba here, down uh, down by uh, but down by Winnipeg. Okay, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, Mike's still doing good, you know. He big, strong guy, you know, and that and. Um, yeah, he, he he was a good guy. We we ended up getting into a brawl down there. <laughs> was that uh, Salt Lake? Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, we ended up getting into a really good brawl there, Nathan. And, and uh, like again, I I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm just a schlepros, but the team <laughs> the, the Pierre wasn't very good either. Yeah. And uh, and the other team, Salt Lake, uh, had some tough guys. Seven. Uh, what? Man, I'd have to look up their their teams there again oh. and that, but uh, they had some some tough teams, and they were gonna they were supposed to, that was Calgary's farm yep. team, mm-hmm. and, and they were uh, they were kind of favored to win, you know, yeah. and stuff in the playoffs. But they they wanted to. Uh, um, sorry, I, I'm trying to get my memory going. Well, here. I'm going to tell you the guys that you fought. Maybe that'll jog your memory. There, I have you having three fights in the playoffs. Uh, Martin Samard, Bob Bodak, and Darwin McCutcheon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Samard, Samard, yeah. yeah. That's the guy there, and that. Yeah, we got into it there and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't like him. I didn't like him first. <laughs> <laughs> I would have met. Well, at least you handled it like a man. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that there was. Who was the coach of that purity? Was it Bob? Francis? Bob Francis was he the coach? Bob, like it. I don't know if it was. Bob, yeah, like for some reason, I want to say it was Bob, but maybe it was, you know, like, like I remember when I came down, we were, we were ready to start the playoffs and, and we went in there and, and all of a sudden he calls me out of the dressing room and Paul, it was like, wait, Paul Baxter was the coach that that's right. He, he was yep. the, he was the coach of, of the Calgary team, but the Peoria team, who was our oh, coach? Pat, Pat Kelly. Pat Kelly, yes, absolutely, very nice man, yeah. very nice guy and stuff like that. You know, in his own right too. Yeah. Um, but he calls me out of the dressing room before our very first playoff game, mm-hmm. and it was like, Rod, I just wanted to let you know that uh, um, they they've started all their toughest guys, all five of them. Like he said, like it, it's not their line or no nothing. He says this is all their tough guys, and I thought, well. What the? Why am I out here, Bob? This is my team, you know. Stuff like, you know, I'm just here to kind of fill in for a little bit. But anyway, he, uh, we continue to talk, and I said, you know what? Screw him, Bob. Let's 
come on, let's let's go and get our guys. Let's go get Big Mikey and stuff like that, and yeah. and Moose, and we're, we'll 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 match him. You you can start me. You start yeah. me at, at at the left wing there and type thing and that. So and because we actually had a like a, a pretty decent team, mm-hmm. we, we weren't that type of good. We weren't going to beat those guys. Right. But you know what? We thought, what the hell? We'll call their bluff. <laughs> and uh, so. We got together with with Mike and Moose and and myself and there was a couple other guys that that we got some bigger guys that would scrap, and uh, we we actually had it orchestrated. One guy was going to bump, he was going to start the fight, or, or I think, I think I was going to start the fight with Samard, mm-hmm. and and then soon as I started to fight, everybody else would fight. Because then, no, I'm lying to you. Somebody else is going to start the fight. Okay. And then once they started the fight, we would all fight, and then they would all get kicked out. You know, we would all get kicked <laughs> out for the second fights into there. And anyway, I remember that that we were all okay. Are we doing this? Yeah, for sure. So we're out on that ice, and these guys don't have a clue what's going on. They just think, oh, we're going to roll over and everything else. So I we say to Bob start these are the guys who need to start and he's like are you guys sure what is going you know and he, and he did it was it was fine it was fantastic it was funny just like slap shot yeah oh uh, that's great so the, the the referee drops the puck and all i remember is big mike neal coming off the blue line and he his gloves were in the air and i just kind of seen him on the corner of my eye and he was flying in the air. He was jumping towards somebody and everything else. And we ended up, like, catching him off guard. And, man, he, we had a five-on-five brawl to start that whole freaking series and everything else. I mean, we ended up losing anyway. But yeah. small little small little trophy for, for, for something like that. But it was a, it was funny. You, you should have seen those guys, there, those fights. And we ended up battling. Like, we weren't, like, a bunch of, you know, sissies. And, and we... We we battled them. We they had to fight to, to beat us that that series, and that, and they did. And I remember Baxter saying uh, in the lineup there after he says that uh, that that we that we got our guys to come together and stuff like that. And it was a lot closer than what the series looked like type thing and that. So it was kind of a nice compliment. Hey, you weren't there long, but you made it count. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> now we go to the next season, eighty eight eighty nine. This is your fourth training camp with the Islanders, but now you're going into a training camp. You're you're a veteran of the American League, and you also have three NHL games under your belt. So you're not necessarily skating with the kids anymore. Maybe you're skating with the big club, and now you're playing regular exhibition games. Um, you had a good fight with Rudy Poshek at MSG. You fought Dave Brown again. Um, what kind of what kind of attitude did you go into this training camp with? You know what? I, I came in with, with, with the idea and, and I was a little bit, you know, I was a little bit uh, thinking that, that I was, I, that, that we were kind of getting shafted a little bit. You know what? We, in, in, it was my third year. Um, I felt that I was getting some good minutes. I was doing what I felt that I, I was supposed to be doing, uh, mixing it up and protecting teammates and, you know, leading and stuff like that. I, I starting to wear uh, the, you know, the assistant captain yep. in, jersey and stuff and doing what i thought and i was still kind of putting up numbers but not not fantastic numbers but rod that was rod's issue rod rod didn't do a very good job at thinking the game for longevity and uh you know i 
I know my minutes uh, were high, um, but they never should have been that high because I think my points totals would have been a lot higher. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that was, that was the killer is that uh, I was going down a, a road that was not the right direction. Um, but we, we went in there and I was uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit pissed to be honest with you with the Islanders. Right? It was like, I wasn't getting like an opportunity. There was guys that were going up uh, above me. Uh, that I didn't think were playing very, that weren't as good as, as what I was doing or what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so I, I started to get a little bit disgruntled. I'll be honest with you and stuff yep. like that with, with the Islanders. And, and I remember going into, uh, we were going to, we were playing uh, uh, somebody one time and it was just, I, I can't remember who we were playing. It was a Boston, maybe uh, an exhibition game or something like that. And somebody wanted to, to scrap from from Boston. I thought mm-hmm. there's no way that I, I I'm not wasting my time fighting for the Islanders here if they're not even giving me opportunity there. So I ended up right off the draw there, not you know telling the guy that wanted to scrap there all the time we're going. And I said, you know what, you come near me, I'll break your fucking ankle. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm not fighting you. Yeah. We're done with this and stuff like that. Anyway, he came near me and that, and I. I give it to him there pretty good. I don't think I broke his ankle by any means, but it was like, it was, it was the message was sent that it was like, okay, like just he's let him, let him be, you know, cause you go in with lots of PIMS and lots of penalty minutes and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was, you, you, you get a reputation and everybody wants to scrap you after that. So yeah. after that point there, I, I kind of cruised right through. Nobody ever wanted to, to scrap anymore in camp. Now, you must have made an impression because you actually made the team out of training camp. So you're going into camp. You 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 know you got a you're pissed off and everything. You must yeah. have done something right. And now they tell you that you made the team. Uh, that must have made you feel pretty good. It absolutely did. You know what? And and I think a lot of it was Terry Simpson was still you know up there and not. And we were, um, I you know, m- making that move to go that direction and stuff like that. I'm not sure really what happened at, at the end, you know, because we went out and, and, and we started off coming out to Western Canada and stuff like that too. And, and you know, it was just unfortunate. Just everything that was just, sometimes sometimes just luck has got to be on your side. Yep. And I remember playing in Edmonton and we got into a little uh, thing around the net and, uh, and Patty. LaFontaine, I was playing with him, mm-hmm. and and Issa Tikkanen, you know, grabbed him and stuff like that. There was kind of like a little scrum, and, and Issa Tikkanen grabbed Pat LaFontaine and stuff like that from behind, and so I I grabbed Tikkanen, kind of ripped him off and everything else, and we started to kind of battle around there a little bit and stuff like that, and 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 then, and then oh, no, it wasn't Tikkanen, it was uh, Stevie Smith, and Steve then we Smith. ended up. That's right. Then we ended up fighting behind yep. the net, stuff like that, uh, with him. And of course, luck have it, got thrown out of the game, you know. And that's yeah. so I lasted all of about four minutes or five minutes into a freaking my, you know, onto the team and everything else. And so that was kind of a shitty situation, but just just bad luck. And then uh, it was only uh, you only played the one game where you were you um, <clears throat> up for longer, and maybe you were scratched from games, or did you get sent right down? Uh, no, we, we finished off the, the season or the season, 
we finished off that road trip uh, going down to Vancouver, I believe. It might have, might have been there. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then we ended up in in, uh, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and then we came home. Yeah, and then I then I got sent down from there. And Simso tells me later on, he says he tried, but it was just he he tried to get me on the team to stay there and everything else, but just got outvoted or whatever, got told that. That's the way it was going to be. I think so. Now, did you think that there was a chance? I mean, listen, you you had a good year again down in Springfield, sixty-seven games, twenty-four uh, points, uh, led the team with three hundred sixty penalty minutes, and you didn't lead a a team of shrinking violets in penalty minutes. You had a pretty tough team down there. Um, again, you say you're wearing the alternate captain, you're a leader. Um, did you feel that maybe there were times during that season where you should have uh, maybe gotten called up? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Did, you know, and, and I, I felt that I was kind of doing those things, the stuff, the the, the right things, and uh, and 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 I wasn't. You know, there was guys that were ahead of me, and 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 so be it. You know, guys, you know, like you know, like Lau would come down, Brad. You know, and he, he great guy here, just down from, just down south of us here in Humboldt and stuff like that. Really good guy. I, me and Brad, really good. You know, friends at that time and. And you know, just there was little things that would that would happen. That you really kind of got pissed, you know, guys that would get called up that were left wingers as well. And you're thinking, this is kind of bullshit, you know, yeah. like, um, and and you know, just just stuff like that, you know. Uh, you know, I can't even I can't even say anything really about it, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, just, that's fine. Just the way it was, the guys were getting called up, you know, and 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 you felt you felt happy for them, like right. Big Al, you know, or Little Al, <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, he he got called up, and then it was just unfortunate. He was on, he was playing left wing, and so was I. I was, I got injured. He got, they had injuries up top, and a lot of times that's that's what dictates if you're going to be up there or not is is opportunities, and and at the right time, the timing has got to be right. And and uh, you know, Al has uh, got a chance to go up. That didn't piss me off. Yeah, that that was, that was just bad luck on my part. Uh, how did you like playing for Jimmy Roberts? Yeah, loved it. Yeah. Loved it. You know what? Uh, he, he was a really good players coach and, and, and really tried to help you with not the skill side of the game, but like the, just understanding the game. And uh, um, he, he was a really good players coach. And, and I, I don't know if anybody didn't like him. I, I, I don't think nobody did. Nobody spoke bad of him by any means. Yeah. Uh, and I got a list of guys here I wanted to ask you about, but I think we talked about all of them except for one right now. Uh, a guy I have a ton of respect for, and that's Chris Pryor. What was it like playing with Pry? Oh man, salt of the earth, man. Like he's Chris and I lived together. Uh, you know, in in my last year, yeah, we lived together my last year because Todd Todd had. had, had had a shoulder injury from back in junior and it popped out again and he needed surgery. So he ended up going home and, you know, and, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, Mixter was, you know, I think he was gone at that yeah. time too. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, so I didn't have a, a roommate, you know, anymore and stuff. So my wife and I actually moved in with, uh, uh, we went to camp and, and Chris and I, hung out and, 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 uh, I said, you, I want to live together. And so he said, yeah, sure. But Chris had two kids at that time. So yeah. my wife and I didn't know nothing about that. So, so <laughs> we ended up together and, 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 and Mikey now who scouts with, uh, Nashville, with, right? 
Is it Nashville? Yeah, it is Nashville. Yeah. yeah he left there. He went from the Flyers over to Nashville there. Yep. And now his dad's in, and Chris is in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, so, I mean, the you know, little Mikey was just a little one, you know, at that time. And, and then his little sister, Jenna, was good. He was Chris, solid guy. Yeah. Very solid, very loyal guy that would just, you know, do anything for you. He was, <clears throat> he was a, he was instrumental in, in, in developing that culture for us, as they say in today's terminologies, he, he developed a real culture for us and, and, and a focus of, of and leadership of where we needed to be type thing and that. And it, and it took us a long time, you know, to get that, uh, that year and that, but we, we eventually got it. Uh, two guys I want to ask you about that you fought that year. One guy went on, uh, even though it was, uh, it was short, but it was sort of a legendary run one year in New Jersey. Another little guy that you fought, Troy Crowder, uh, who was with Utica at the time. You remember fighting big Troy Crowder? Yeah, yeah, in Utica, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he did, yeah. We uh, we squared off there toe-to-toe, and, that, and, and he liked to throw him, too. Like he, oh, yeah. he was one of those guys that did like there. Uh, he's, <clears throat> excuse me. He had a little bit of a, he was a lefty at times too. He he kind of tried to switch it up. I'm not sure if he was trying to do that at that time. He wasn't overly good. I remember that. Yeah. Um, but, but he was, uh, but he was kind of trying to throw different hands and stuff. And uh, yeah, we ended up going toe to toe. And, and you know what? A, a lot of our fights or a lot of my fights, I guess, never ended up on, on the ice. And no. it was, you know, some of them did, you know, for the most part. But lots of times when when I was done or we were done, it, we were standing up. And it was just two guys that, that went at it. And uh, uh, just maybe that's the way it was and everything. But, yeah, yeah, he was he was a tough guy too, man. Jesus. There's a lot of them, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. And another guy you fought, played some NHL games. Uh, you fought him when he was with the Binghamton Whalers, and that's Ed Kastelik, who was suspended after your fight for 20 games because he said he thought he was biting you and he was actually biting one of the officials. Do you remember that? No, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, I remember him being suspended and everything else, but that's the first time that I heard that, that that's what happened. That's what happened. He, he thought he was <laughs> biting you and he was actually biting one of the officials. <laughs> oh, <Frank. laughs> oh, man, I'm glad I didn't do that one. <laughs> Is it, you know what, just, just changes something, you know, and just thinking about de- doing something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to, uh, you know, like thinking about when you just said that about Evan, I said doing something stupid. Going back to the to to my last year in, in with the Prince Hubbard Raiders, you talked about Kimby and stuff like that. And we got into a, uh, into a fight with Kerry Clark. And uh, for whatever we... We were, I think it was at the end of the period and we were going off the ice and, uh, I, I was in, in, in Saskatoon, just stepped off the ice and some guy come down out of the stands, kind of meets me at that door. And, and I don't know what he said now and, you know, and everything else. And he spits right in my face and, uh, and then he takes off and, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ. Right. I, I yeah. just, you know what, I, I, the adrenaline's pumping and, and I take a couple steps down the, the aisle towards my dressing room and I'm not sure, you know, I honestly, this is one of those times when I, I, I was pretty methodical and, and stuff, but 
you know, when guys say that they black out or do something, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. But all I know was that I was going up the stands and I'm on, still got my skates on and everything else. And I'm after this guy and he's going up about, I come around out of that gate and I'm going up the stairs. He's about 10 rows up and, and, and he's already starting to get to a seat. So he's about 10 rows up and he's about eight seats into it. And, and, and I'm coming up the stairs and I'm about halfway up behind him and he's high fiving guys and this and that, and he's all happy, you know, and everything else. And, and all of a sudden I'm about three quarters of the way up now. And he's still standing up with his back towards me. And, but all now his buddies are seeing me coming. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like the rats on the Titanic. They were going oh. over seats and they were trying to spread and they left this poor guy all alone. There was no, he was all, <laughs> he was on an Island. And I'm telling you, Joe, did I give it to him? Oh, I, nice. I absolutely pounded him. There was blood all over the place and that. And then I remember the cops grabbing me and they were they threw me right down the stairs and I was skidded to the bottom there. Oh <laughs> my god. I'm and picturing you running up the stairs and your skates uh, sparking the stairs. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. And yeah, then all of a sudden, you know, the and back then all they did was they say, Well, what did he do to you, Rod? And then well I said he came down and and spit in my face and then the so then they went into the other guys and said you know and then the guy says i want to press charges says well technically you assaulted him by that so it's a wash (laughs) (laughs) the world was so much simpler back then (laughs) was it every it's at me and i break and break his nose and split them all up and oh yeah did i give it to him good and because there was no refs and i i was on until those cops came (laughs) your real life handsome brother yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Throw these, hit him with the keychain. <laughs> God, I'm glad you remembered that story. That's tremendous. <laughs> um, so we're getting to the the final season in Springfield now. This is what this is the team that I uh, is always will have a special place in my heart. And we talked about a lot of these guys, but just for the people listening, I want to rattle off the guys that played for this team at least one game because a couple of guys didn't didn't come until the end of the season, but. But, Rod, listen to the, the list of guys. So you have yourself, you got Dean Ewan, Del Kushner, Chris Pryor, Dean Chenouth, Mike Stevens, Sharkey, Rob DeMaio, Dale Henry, Derek Laxdahl, Sean Byram, and then at the end of the year you get Dave Chizowski and Kevin Dayoff. That's a tough team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question. And and that's why I say that, you know, they, and maybe I got the, the one at the very beginning there, they – this team might have been tougher than this team might have been tougher than the Raiders, you know, like yeah. for, you know, for maybe not the heavyweight guys, but, but for a, an all around guys that were stick up for for the teammates and everything else, good character guys. Uh, this, this was, this was a lot of fun. This, this team, all, all three of those teams were fun. You yeah. know, back. I remember those guys would, there was guys that would play on other teams that, that would come into springy and, and knowing full well that they're going to beat us. Um, but they would say, like, let's just keep it down to about two goals, guys. If, if they score one, then we'll score another one. You know, because it, once the game got up to three, four, five goals, they were ahead of us. We knew we weren't winning. So the only thing we could do now is fight. And so like, they, they, they didn't want nothing to do with that. So, yeah. so there was guys that were on the other teams that would actually tell us, hey, we'd just try and keep it around two, three goals. That's it. <laughs> 
And, and one guy I didn't mention who had a monster year that year was the goalie, Jeff Hackett. What a year he had. Oh, Hacks, he was a great guy. You know, Hacks was, did you know that when he, he took a puck, two pucks in the head, eh? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, in practice, and he, he took one in the head and it, and it cut him open, just split him right down the forehead type thing. And, uh, and then he took another puck and he changed. Like, you know, he had that concussion type of a thing mm-hmm. and, and his, his demeanor changed. His sense of humor even changed and stuff like that. He, you know, and, and then he went on and to be a really good goalie and stuff like that in the NHL. And uh, Hacks was a really good guy. And so, but so, so was uh, Georgie Nanala. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Georgie yep. was a great guy and piss, piss you right off. Cause he wouldn't, he said, you know, his, his philosophy was, I don't get paid to stop pucks in practice. <laughs> so he would come out and plant himself in the middle of the there, and he wouldn't try and do any glove saves or mm-hmm. or do anything. He wouldn't do any no splits or no nothing. You'd come down and shoot, and he would just laugh at you and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, he was a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> now this season again, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up. I'm gonna keep beating that this drum here. Limited to 43 games. 30 points. You had 10 goals, 20 assists, 30 points, 129 penalty minutes, third on the team. Now, there's two names I want to ask you about that you fought this season. One is widely regarded as a legend. Another one is widely regarded as a minor league legend. Uh, you fought Nick Fatiu twice. He was with New Haven at the time. You remember fighting Nick? Yeah. That, that's a big rig. I'm telling <laughs> you. That, that's, a, that's a big rig. You know what? And, and, and you know what? In, in fairness to, uh, to, to Nick, um, he definitely, he was at the end of his career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, he wasn't in his prime or anything like that. Uh, Rod Dolman never would have would stood uh, a chance against Nick Fatio in his prime because he was, uh, he was, you could tell the fire in his eyes, the intensity and stuff like that. Cause we kind of got at it there and a few times or a couple times <clears throat> and, and, uh, it, it wasn't the same though. He, he didn't have that same intensity that he wanted like to, to hurt you anymore. You know, he'd kind of maybe lost that eye of the tiger a little bit and stuff like that. He'd fight because he was big and he would do it. But, um, you know, what? honestly, I think the fights were pretty melancholic to be yeah. honest with you. Very vanilla. Uh, and then another guy you fought and <clears throat> excuse me, you fought him the year before It's someone who I, I think is one of the greatest technicians as far as hockey fighting goes in the history of the sport. And that's Serge Roberge, who you had fought the year before. And then you fought him again this year. He's with Sherbrooke. You remember fighting Serge? Yeah. Now that was, that was a clone of Rod Dolman. I'm yeah. telling you like, and uh, fighting him was, you were put on your work gloves, man, because you were going, you were going to work, and it it was the same type of thing. You just stand there, and we're gonna fight, and that's all we're gonna do. We're not gonna try and <clears throat> do all the fancy hooking and holding and doing everything else. I'll stand here, and I'll throw lefts, and then you throw lefts, and then you switch to rights. I'll throw rights, and 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 it was something that was was hard and, and and he was tough like he is i i had a lot of respect for him and and honestly was nervous about him like yeah. he because he had that same type of demeanor he wasn't scared of anybody and you know you as a guy that does a lot of fighting and stuff like that you can kind of tell guys that 
you start to read guys pretty well if they in their eyes and, and their body language and stuff like that of, of really where they are. I think I got this guy a little bit, you know, I, I, I'm in his head type thing. And I, he wasn't a guy that got in head, you know what? In fact, it was the other way around. He got in our heads a little bit because he was that way. Now we fast forward to the playoffs and just as the, the Indians playoffs are starting. And I think you actually, you were on the road, maybe. Uh, you get the call that you're going up to play for the Islanders in the playoffs. So, do you remember that whole uh, the circumstances around that? Well, yeah, they the the Rangers and the the Rangers and the Islanders had a little bit of a, a scuffle there. And oh yeah, remember which game it was? Was it game one or it was game, game one? It was game one because yeah, we we went and played in New in the Madison Square Gardens yep. mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's right, you know, and Mick had got suspended, or was he, there was some guys that were out. Bomber Mick, was Mick out. and that's, Bomber got suspended. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, they were a little bit worried about that. So, of course, they come down and grab a guy that has lots of penalty minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I remember going up there and uh, skating around up there. But you know what? The game was pretty tame, Joe. Yeah. It, 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 uh, I think, I'm not sure what happened, but it was... Even in our dressing room, there was no talk about any of that kind of stuff. I think I was just there just in case things went, you know, squirrely a little bit and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it, the game was quite, quite slow. And you uh, picked up an assist. Did I? Yeah. Yeah, I think I did too. Of course you did. You got an assist. You got one, one NHL playoff game and you got one assist. That's not too bad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, see, they, think if they would have played me 80 games. I'm, I was just going to say, if you play 100 <laughs> NHL playoff games, you got 100 assists. I'm a 100-point guy. You're like Gretzky. <laughs> yes, yeah. You just like them. Exactly. Like, I mean... Eight. Birth date, date. Birth date, just same date, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, he's better looking, but other than that, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. So now we're going to go back to uh, to Springfield. Good playoff, man. I mean, I, you know, individually, yeah, 15 games, 10 points, 59 penalty minutes. Um, yeah, played Cape Breton. I think that's where you were maybe when you got the call to go uh, go play for the Islanders. And uh, I don't know if you remember fighting a guy that has a reputation of being a little squirrely, a little crazy, uh, Mark LaForge. No, I don't really remember Mark LaForge, but you're right, though, because I, I remember flying out of Cape Breton. Okay. And stuff like that because the the it was a it was a storm and stuff like that and it was pretty dicey getting out of there and that and I was really hoping that we were that our planes didn't get grounded because that that's how bad it was. Now uh, you we're going to talk about winning the Calder Cup, but uh, as a, with a lot of guys that I've spoken to that played on this team, it wasn't like you guys were were going end to end like this this juggernaut team. There was a period of time during that season where you guys weren't playing very well uh, towards the beginning of the season, if I'm not mistaken, and then things started to click maybe second half of the year. Oh, you're 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 being a lot nicer than what I. <laughs> Joel, well, it's we okay were... if you say it. You know, <laughs> we were shitty. We we yeah. were like uh, Springfield uh, year one, Springfield year two, and then that that first half of the year there, uh, or at least uh, for the first part of that of that season. Eventually, you know what? We had a team meeting there, and that and and uh, I don't know who called it. Maybe Prize did, or you know that kind of stuff. But 
um, <clears throat> we, we, we had a team meeting and said, guys, like, this is ridiculous. I mean, we, we missed the playoffs a couple of years and, and we're going down the same road here and that. And, and then it was shitty, but you know, guys like, like a Mark, Mark Bergman was, was a really good guy. You know, he was a really good team guy and, and, and really fun to be around and, and really fit into our, our group really well and stuff. And it was a good player type thing too. Yeah. So, um, but I, you know what, I think it was, we all started to grow up a little bit and we were tired. We were, we were just tired of being that team anymore. And, uh, after that, that, that meeting, if I'm not mistaken, and, and, and you would probably know better than me, but, you know, we, we were like 16 points out of a playoff spot at that point. And, and when we really started to decide and we snuck into the playoffs by a couple points or whatever, you know, to get into that eighth spot there. And, uh, and you know, the rest is history. You know, we were, we were on such a high. We had to work. We had to work so hard at being so disciplined and, and to not take stupid penalties. And Rod Dahlman had to learn, the, don't take stupid penalties. And Dale Kushner had to learn, you know, don't take stupid penalties, you know, that kind of stuff. And and um, and we did. And, and, and it was good because, you know, Kush was a good hockey player. You know, he was a guy that really cared in, in his own way. I, what I will say is one of the worst hockey games I have ever seen was from you guys that year. It was a game in New Haven that was actually on TV. It was uh, on Nesson in, uh, in Massachusetts. And you guys got your asses handed to you. It was like every time New Haven had the puck, they scored. And Bill Torrey was actually at the game because they interviewed him in between periods. And I'm going, oh, my God, he's he had to pick the worst game to go to to watch you guys. It was The highlight of the game was actually when – uh, Craig Duncanson stole Dean Ewan's stick and then Dean jumped into the bench to get it. And then uh, Kush is fighting with the fans in the penalty box, throwing water bottles and everything. That was the lone highlight of the game. Oh, God. Doesn't that sound like a freaking bad movie and stuff like oh. that? Like, that? That's like something from right out of Slapshot. It sounds like, like a great God. movie. <laughs> <laughs> so. So tell me about, uh, you know, like you say, you just pretty much gave a good description of, of the season, uh, you know, how you kind of went from uh, the outhouse to the penthouse here. What was it like to win, uh, win the Calder Cup and lift that Calder Cup at the end of the season? Well, you know what, it was, uh, th- this one was way more sweeter than, than winning the Memorial Cup, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, um, obviously, for a couple of reasons, is one you know, I, I was 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 instrumental in in this cup as as I was. And the other one was a little bit different role that I was in as as a young guy, but this one here, Joe, was the guys that we had and and where we came from, the journey that we had to get to was was, was so good, and and everybody took us for for granted, and and it was really nice. You know, and I, I remember saying to to my bride here. You know, we we went into to uh, Rochester in that in that final series, and we won both games in Rochester. And I remember Chris Pryor and I were were we phoned our 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 brides, and you know we're gonna win this thing. I can't believe it, and stuff like that. We came home and lost both games, <laughs> and 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 honestly, uh, uh, that might have broke a, a team you know, because of uh, the situation and because Rochester was so good and like with their guys 
and 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 we battled back and we never let it slip away from us and we ended up winning that um going back into their barn again and winning game five and we and we vowed right in that dressing room after game five that we're not we're not coming back that we, we we will be we're we're preparing now we don't care about game five it is now about game six and that's what we're going to be thinking about and and you know it, it was a hard fought that was a tough game too like it was they knew that their backs were against the wall just just like it was but anyway when when we ended up winning and and springy loved that song and and you know sometimes it pops on every now and then and i'm not sure where because it's like where in the hell was channel am i listening to but that <laughs> that you know shake rattle and roll mm-hmm. yep every time that we would score that stupid song would come on <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> and you know and shake rattle and roll yep. and, and it, it was fantastic you know and i and uh those fans deserved it they they came and watched a bunch of young stupid idiotic <laughs> kids uh, and that all they did was fight and, and, and probably a lot of them went home frustrated thinking, Jesus, they were, if they would just play the game or, or if they would just, you know, don't be so stupid. Like why, why is Dalman taking like four minors a game, you know, like you, you know, stuff like that, you know, and we had a power play. Why is he, why is he fighting now and taking the instigator, you know, that kind of stuff, stupid stuff. And I, they really deserved it, and the the ownership there, Peter Cooney, uh, stuck with us. He's such a nice guy, and, and he always was in there, and he never ever give a shit to, for anything. And and he always was 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 there Christmas time. He had little bonuses for us, and and little things like that. And and uh, Bruce Landon, the GM, like you know the. The, the group of, of coaching staff and the leadership and, and Johnny Forsland, you know, Chris and, and Johnny and I got along really well. And, uh, and I think it was a little bit more Johnny and, and, and Chris, cause they were, you know, even, you know, Chris was a little bit older than yeah. even I was, and stuff, but they, they were, uh, everybody got along so well on that team. And, and it was, it was just surreal. Here's a fun fact for you, Rod. I have been to several hundred American Hockey League games. Game six was my very first American Hockey League game that I went to. Is that right? Well, where do you go from there? Like, like I mean, every. It, well, I'll do you one better. So, if you remember, if if you remember during the celebration, Sarge was out there giving uh, sticks and stuff, throwing stuff over to the fans. All right. Oh, yeah. Your stick ended up in a friend of mine who I wasn't friends with at the time, but I ended up working with him. He got the Rod Dahlman stick that was on the ice, and it is now in my collection. Oh, is that what kind of a stick? Oh, the old cohos. The old cohos. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We we ended up. Funny, Joel. Yeah, it was, uh, and I'll tell you the story how we ended up there after we're done recording. I don't think uh, the people will be bored with it. You may get a kick out of it, but uh, the people don't want to hear how I ended up at that game. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, I actually also, if you remember when the game was over there, people were throwing the uh, the armrests off the chairs. They were pulling them off. Oh, throwing them. I had one of those whole- too, and I don't know where it is. <laughs> oh, that the whole ice was lit with that stuff. Yep. It was just. Like, you know, for, for a team that came together, Joel, that from where we came from, 
it, it, you, you can really, you know, when you, know, when you, you watch those commercials and, and guys win a championship and, and they, and the guys are got the microphone in the face and, and all they can do is cry, yeah. you know, they can't speak. That's the way it was with us. You know, we were, even though we didn't all play together on the same team in the Western Hockey League, we all knew each other, you know, and, and, and we, and we had a bond. And and it's amazing how there it's it solidifies when you do something like that, and uh, you know those guys and and those memories of of those three years, um, I'll never forget. It, it was some of the best times of of my life as a as a kid, you know, type thing and that. So, uh, I mean, I reached out to a couple of your ex teammates, so I guess we're gonna pump your tires here for a little bit, maybe embarrass you a bit. Not with any bad stories, just people saying nice things about you. Um, former guest of the show and a great guy, Dave Chazowski, uh, said you were tough as nails, very quiet. Um, he didn't play much, but you were super nice to him. And uh, he said he owes you a lot and you were a good example because you worked your ass off every day. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, another former short-term teammate, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the top two GMs in the NHL right now, uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff, uh, said that he always looked up to you. Uh, you were seriously tough and a hard-nosed player to play against. Uh, he was a rookie in Brandon when you were a vet in uh, PA, and he knew not to mess with you. He said you weren't the tallest guy, but pound for pound, one of the toughest, hardest to play against. Very honest and very tough. Well, that's nice to hear, you know, because Chevy Chevy has done a, a an unbelievable, you know, accomplishment of getting where he is, being in his position of playing the game and moving yep. forward and transition to a general manager and yep. and good general, like yep. you know, at the top. I think him and uh, and Lou Lamarillo are their two best ones right now. I mean, again, I always say I'm biased, but I love Chevy, and of course, I love Lou Lamarillo. Yeah, well, Lou Lamarillo, his just everything that the way he he has adapted to the game. You know, when we talk about players and how they they need to adapt, uh, Lou Lamarillo has proven uh, time and time again that and coming up with different ways of adapting his teams. His teams change, systems change, and and how he can get those his players or his teams. Uh, to win year after year and that like he's just fantastic he's very very smart man oh yeah so another uh former teammate a guy we talked about already dean chanouth uh rod was one of the toughest players pound for pound along with robbie DeMaio that i played with and against we had many great battles through midget and junior hockey rod was a great teammate so that's from uh, dino there um another one sharky another guy we talked about here see i i try to i i I never lose contact with anybody because I can always use him for quotes. Um, Sharky said, I just think he was one of the best teammates. He was tough as nails. He always defended every teammate. I got to play against him in the Western League and was lucky to be his teammate in Springfield. And uh, last one for you from uh, Dean Ewan. In the fullest sense, he was a warrior. Whether it was driving to the net, battling in the corners, or fighting the biggest guy in the ice, he was a warrior. He's a man of character. If he said he was going to do something, consider it done. Although he's neither the biggest nor the fastest, he maximizes talent through tireless work ethic. I suppose the best way to describe him is to say he's an old-school type player. So, yeah, very well respected there, Rod. Uh, your teammates loved you, and uh, I think your opponents probably didn't like you too much, but they definitely respected you. 
Well, that's that's nice to hear on on both of them because that's good because I yeah. didn't want them to respect me on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, you're one of the guys when I when I reach out to guys to get their opinion on on players that have coming up on the interviews, um, I tell you, you're you're definitely one of the guys that everyone. Oh man, they just. Uh, I would imagine if I'm if it was a video call, their eyes would light up. But everyone just always has uh, such nice things to say about you and uh, so much respect. So, uh, so I know you you know you say you could have been smarter or whatever, but uh, you definitely made an impact on a lot of your teammates. Oh, well, that's good. Well, that is really nice to hear, and Acton, and, and I appreciate it. You know what? You never you never hear those types of things and stuff like that uh, about guys because again, you're you're young and you don't think like that and then now we start to get older joe and you start thinking about Bizey and and kush and mm-hmm. you know and, and all these guys and dino and that. i mean you, you just start to think you know oh yeah and, and you start to remember who they were mm-hmm. not, not what they did on the ice but but what type of people they were and that and and i think that's 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 the fun thing about being in hockey and 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 maybe the roles that we had to play in, in that era that we had to play, um, you know, it just, it, it creates a, such a strong bond. And if I ever see Dale Kushner and stuff like that, we'll always be able to laugh, mm-hmm. you know, or Jeff Finley, when I see him every now and then, he's still scouting and that, and I run into him the odd time, you know, we giggle and laugh about things, you know, and, I, and it's just, it's just so good. Well, and I think, you know, what you're saying, what you always hear retired guys say is, you don't miss the games. You miss the locker room. You miss the bus rides because that's where you build the bond with your teammates who essentially become your brothers. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Joe, and just and just saying something else too and that, you know what, I mean, you deserve an, an awful lot of credit and, and uh, because, you know, I, I know that you've been after me for, <laughs> for quite a few years here at this thing done and, and you persevered and, and you kept on me and stuff like that. And, you know, when I started, when I finally said yes, and, uh, you know, I listened to a bunch of your podcasts and stuff like that, and it made me want to do this, this interview with you. And, and because I, I honestly believe that, that you're, that I believe in your character and what, what you're trying to do. And, and you bring people together again after all of these years and, and stir up memories and stuff like that of, of old teammates and old rivalries that, that we don't even rival anymore, but we remember them and stuff like and stuff. And, and, and I just wanted to say thank you because uh, when, when I was listening to your podcasts, man, it, it was, uh, it, it, it did bring up a lot of memories and, and, and I love listening to him. I love listening to Johnny Forsling because he gives you a different perspective mm-hmm. on game and not inside a dressing room, but from an, uh, somebody upstairs looking down and, and, and then through your eyes as, as a fan, uh, I just wanted to say thank you for, for everything that you do and, and uh, whatever I can do to try and help you along, whatever, you know, just, just definitely make sure you reach out. Well, I mean, that's pretty humbling, Rod. I, uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, as far as my persistence, I don't like taking no for an answer, but, uh, uh, well, not that you said no, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's really humbling for you to say it, it, you know, I, I, this is, uh, this is a passion for me, you know, I mean, uh, I've been for, like I always say, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet a ton of you guys over the years and, um, you know, it's just, uh, 
you know, I always, like, I always talk about my friendship with Dean and, you know, Dean's like a brother to me. I, I always say he's my brother. And, uh, you know, I met a lot of good people through Dean and, uh, you know, we still talk to this day and I love him and, uh, I'd kill for him and I'd die for him. And, uh, you know, this is the, this show is really just a passion for me. And, and it's funny because I'll, I'll talk to Dean a lot and he'll say, you should, you know, maybe, you know, like he always, you know, he says, oh, you're good at it and you do this, but you might maybe try to do something different and, and like sort of broaden my horizons. And I, and I always say, you know what, this is my wheelhouse. Like I enjoy talking to you guys and talking about your careers and, and bringing up the memories and uh, you know, just, you know, for someone like we've, we've communicated in the past, but for some of my guests, it really is the first time I'd ever spoken to them. So um, it's either reminiscing with someone or getting to know someone. And the fact that you guys even give me the time of day is something that I could never repay you guys enough for. So uh, maybe it's something that goes hand in hand, but I'm just grateful that, uh, that I get a chance to talk to you and, uh, and bring, bring your story out to people. So, uh, so really the honor is mine and, and I, I, appreciate it and uh your words are very humbling and very kind and i thank you for them well i'll tell you what you know and, and then i you know i kind of agree you know with dino a little bit you know is that you know if you reach out to some, maybe some of those guys you know like brad lauer and 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 guys like that and you know like those guys <clears throat> excuse me jeff finley you know those guys weren't the, you know the tough guys on our teams but anything else but those guys have memories of, of, of the people that you that you say that are in your wheelhouse as well. And 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 you know, like you'll stir up like Jeff Jeff and Dunk were pretty good friends, yeah. you know. And and those those guys there, they everybody has different views and different ideas of the teams too and that. So you, you would get a different perspective. You might not be able to bring up all of their fights. Yeah. I bet you any money that they'll remember a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so it's it just different. I mean, just something to think about, yeah. but I, I, I thank you anyway. Oh. So that's it. Hey, never say never, but uh, you know, like, like, you know, like Dean and I have spoken a million times over the years and I always get a charge out of speaking to him. Cause I, you know, like I always tell him he's the smartest person I know and, and he's old school in his beliefs like I am. And I'm sure like you are and everything. And I get a charge out of talking to you guys. So, uh, but, uh, but no, you never say never, you know, I mean, maybe, uh, yeah. there's plenty of guys who drop the gloves for the Islanders. Maybe one day I mix it up a little bit, but, uh, but we'll see what happens. So, um, so now Rod, we get to your 90, 91 season and, uh, you're a free agent and you sign with the Flyers. So, uh, did you feel that your time with the Islanders was done or did they feel their time with you was done or did the Flyers just blow you away? Actually, you know what? No, it wasn't. It was uh, the Islanders didn't want to resign me. Okay. And, uh, and, and you know, for whatever reason, I don't know why. And, and you know what? And it all probably was okay because, you know, it, it was different too. And that <clears throat> is that I, I went to the Flyers, uh, signed as a free agent, and I ended up going there. And uh, I, you know what? This is, I, I ended up screwing up. To be honest with you, I I went there and uh, never felt comfortable. It was uh, it was a weird feeling. Um, um, my wife was at home, uh, pregnant, and 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 stuff like that. And I never ever felt good about being there. And and you know what? 
I say what you want because it's just the who I am and stuff. And maybe that's why I get along with people and everybody. I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I quit. I quit. I, I got up in the middle of the night and, and, and drove home from Philadelphia. And, uh, cause I, and uh, I came back to work. And, uh, you know, to be with my wife and everything else. But then all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, it didn't take very long, about three months of, of going to work every day. To realize, hey, this that hockey wasn't such a bad gig, you know. <laughs> I was making a lot more money there, and and uh, you know, and doing something that I loved, and 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 even though it was only for say three months or so, it, it gave me a real different perspective. And you know, you never know where life takes you, and in the choices that you make, and you live by them, and that. But you learn from every experience, negative and positive. And uh, you know what? It, 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 I learned from that, and and uh, I called Russ Farwell, who was a general manager of, of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and said, uh, you know, Russ, I, and was totally upfront with them, and made it, you know, I said, I, you know, I made a mistake, and uh, I, I want to come back. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm out of shape. I need to come back and try and get, you know, back in there. And and Russ gave me a second chance, and then I ended up down in uh, in spring or brought back to Hershey, mm-hmm. and ended up down in uh, in San Diego, yep. and it, it was fantastic. And I and I still think to myself that that a general manager in the National Hockey League would do something for somebody like me and that, and and I never ever you know never ever forgot him for that. Was uh was Russ the GM in Seattle when you were in Prince Albert, or he came after you? Uh no, he he was, I believe, he was uh, the GM in in Seattle. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, he was familiar with you, obviously, and uh, I'm sure when Hershey would play Springfield, I mean, he knew you, and and I've heard nothing but good things about. I know Dean loves Russ. He played for him that one year, and uh, so I've heard nothing but good things about Russ Farrell. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, he he was really good to me. That's for sure. So there are worse places in the world to resurrect your career than San Diego, Rod. That that had to be a pretty good place to play. You you were there for 15 games, eight points. Uh, what was that experience like playing in San Diego? Well, I'll tell you that that was different. That gives you a, a totally different uh, perspective on you know playing on the West Coast and stuff. You know, coming from the East Coast, I was over in New York and Springy and Hershey and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, back there, you went over there and you've got palm trees and you've got, you know, all of those types of things, man, it was, it was different, but hot and, but it was just the, the league itself, uh, going to the international hockey league. Um, the hockey was different. It it wasn't the same. Um, I, it was okay. Um, it, it was a place that I needed to be, you know, to, 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 to be a better player type thing and that, but it was, uh, it, it was just okay. You know, I, I met some really good guys and stuff like that. You know, in fact, I made, uh, you know, uh, uh, a couple of really good friends and stuff like that there. We played with Ronnie Dugay. Uh, he was one of the guys I was going to ask you about. You got uh, Dugues there with the tan, I'm sure all the time. And, uh, what was that like playing with Ron Dugate? Probably, I mean, in terms of uh, profile, had to be one of the highest profile guys you ever played with. 
Oh God, yeah, 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 for sure. Like, I mean, he was, he was like, as still, still uh, a model. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was still a pretty boy at he that. He was age. on uh, Rod Peterson's show a couple of weeks ago. He still looks younger than all of us. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Oh Christ, yeah. yeah. Where's Roddy Peterson now? He's in Regina. He has a show every he's, day. He's on. I thought that he moved. I nope. thought he moved somewhere. Nope. He uh, he's on every day, Monday to Friday, and uh, on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Yeah, no, he's still around. Oh well, shit. I didn't know that. I'll have to reach out to him. The last time I was in Regina, which is you know way before this all this COVID crap. Yeah. Uh, you know we uh, you know he doesn't drink anymore and right. stuff like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went out for a pop there and stuff like that, too. And I talked to him for a while. But, yeah, I, I thought I had heard that he had he'd moved away. No, when, hey. we, when uh, we, we stop, hey. I'll give you all the information uh, off the air. I'll give you all the information. Sounds good, man. Yep. Um, so your final year, 91-92, um, did you go to camp with the Flyers or with the Bears? Um, you know what? I blew out my knee, and, that, and that's the reason why I ended up uh, – uh, I went to I went to Hershey, and then I ended up playing, and I ended up going into, of, of all places, I went into Springfield and got uh, a guy come across the blue line, and instead of hitting me up high, he hit me down low and, and blew out my knee, and it and, – and, the doctors, when I went to the do- the hospital that night, uh, they told me right at that point right there that it says, you'll never play hockey again because of this, the way the break was and stuff like that. So it was, it was, it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating of where we came from. So, you know, a couple of years earlier, I, I'm on top of the world winning a, a Calder Cup um, um, to, to the next year quitting hockey and coming home and then getting a second chance and going back. And then, you know, so the, that time in my life was, 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 was very challenging in regards to, uh, you know, just, just finding yourself and, and ups and downs and being able to push through things and stuff like that, Joe. Well, um, I wanted to ask you about that, but if you don't mind, I just want to go back to the two games that you played with the Flyers um, that season. Um, <clears throat> you played Chicago, I think, a home and home. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, I always like to ask people because I, I love the old school stuff and I love old Chicago Stadium. And, you know, now the arenas are all the same and they're these monstrosities. Uh, what was it like playing in Chicago Stadium? Like just oh, the anthem, the, the organ in the beginning and everything. What was that like? It, it was fantastic, you know, and, 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 you know, like, you're right. Like there's all things, you know, you, you went into there, we'll, we'll talk about this one, but I mean, I, I remember going in there and, and just that organ there going and stuff like that, you could hear it. And, and you know what people always say, you don't hear things and I, you, you, you don't listen, mm-hmm. but you hear things at times. It, it's, it's not a, if you're listening to a song, sometimes you can fade out and look out in the field and then all of a sudden you come back and you're listening to music. You don't really hear it, but it's going. And, and it was really good. And I remember like that everybody always talked about the horn mm-hmm. in, in, in Chicago yeah. <laughs> and son of a gun. If, if I don't come off the ice and, uh, you know, the, 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 the door was right behind our net. So mm-hmm. we would come off the ice and then you had to go downstairs, a flight of stairs to get to the dressing room. <laughs> and I remember yeah. coming up 
and oh yeah, there's three, two, and step, and I go to step off, and I go to step down there. Well, son of a gun, that freaking horn went off, and it was so freaking loud, it, it kind of made me jump a little bit, and I skidded all the way down the freaking stairs, <laughs> like I was on skis, all, all the way to the bottom. <laughs> Oh my God! And I don't remember who was in the dressing room, but it, like the door is right there. When you hit the bottom of the stairs, you would just make a quick right and go into it. And the guy, whoever it was, I can't remember. He was killing himself laughing. And he says, "Yeah, welcome to the league." <laughs> <laughs> so, one other thing I want to ask you about the Flyers was uh, uh, they you you weren't there that long, so uh, you may not. But a guy that you had fought now was your teammate for a couple of games, and that's Dave Brown. Um, Dave Brown is widely regarded as I think most people have him in their top two in terms of toughest guys ever. Um, were you around him long enough to, to get to know him at all, even a little bit? No, not, not really. You know, like we kind of tussled a little bit and stuff like that. Uh, he was definitely somebody that was, he was just a big monstrous guy, you know, and, and, and long arms and like, like sunken down shoulders, you know, like he didn't wear the, the, the great big shoulder pads like everybody else did. And now like, you know, so he had just the long ones there and all, you know, obviously it was for fighting. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. But I mean, no, no, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to, to meet him. And I mean, just not enough to really say to comment too much on yeah. him. So now I was going to bring up your injury, but you brought it up and, and, you know, I think for, regular working people we don't really you know our whole thing is you work and you can relate to this now you work so that you one day you can retire and enjoy the retired life and travel and do all this stuff but it's completely different for professional athletes and i know for professional athletes when when the time comes to retire that's a big adjustment and that's a big adjustment for guys who are able to retire on their own terms and now you were not able to do that you you had to retire because of this injury um so like you said how difficult it was but i mean how long did it take you to to kind of get back not literally get back on your feet but get back on your feet and and maybe start the process of moving on well, you know what, you know, that, that's a good, really good question and stuff like that, because I, I, I think it happens to an awful lot of people and that, but it, it, it took me quite a while because I, since, you know, I was very injury prone when, you know, you look at a lot of the, my numbers and the games played that, that I played, even in, in Prince Albert, right from there. Um, I was a slap rock, you know, I was always injured, whether it was on my own doing and stuff like that. It was maybe a lot of the way that I played the game. Um, you know, I, I played so hard all the time that I, I disregarded a lot of signs and warning signs that I never should have. And I think that would have prolonged my career, but, um, my knee, when I blew out my knee there and that since that day there i think i've had nine surgeries on my knee you know and yeah so it's it's not something that was just a a small little one there i've i've had reconstructive knee surgery to try and align the 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 shin bone over a little bit to get it away from the 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 uh the, the where the breaks were because it creates calcium inside the knee joints and that that all that did was that the doctor screwed up and moved it too far, and now I had to get it moved back again. You know, like there's just so many things that it, it takes a lot to to all of a sudden just go from from being done 
you know, without, like you said, not being the guy that, that made that decision and what never had a chance to prepare what I wanted to do later on in life. You know, Kenny Baumgartner was always uh, very focused on what he wanted to do. He, he loved school. He loved books. Uh, you know, it was just a natural progression for him. I think he knew that what he really wanted to do back in junior yeah. and it was a way that he needed to make money through the NHL and through his style of game to be able to make that money so he could do what he really wanted to do in the rest of his life, you know. So um, I didn't, I, I think a lot of people that had that, uh, Todd McClellan was that way in Springfield when Pip, uh, br- you know, separated his shoulder and he needed surgery. It was a career-ending injury as well, and he had to go back. Um, but, but Todd had some foresight and he always thought about being a coach and, and even back in the day, he was collecting, you know, drills and stuff from our practices and all our coaches and stuff like that. He was compiling drills for that stuff. So, um, you know, it, it was tough. It was a very tough thing for a young guy to have to go through. Eventually you resurfaced. You've had uh, a few positions with uh, Prince Albert uh, since you retired. I know you were an assistant coach for at least uh, at least one season. I know you've done some scouting with them. Um, all the uh, that stuff does that uh, is that something that you enjoy doing? You know what? Being part of the game, you know, missing that as you said earlier on. You know, it's 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 not really the game, but it's it's missing the people in the game because I think hockey is a different sport and a different culture that that a lot of other team sports have. Football players, nothing away from them, but you know what? They uh, there's so many of them on a team. Yeah. They may not develop that same team bond. They they may click with with certain groups in that in that in that environment, but not something where uh, the teammates are, are in some small dressing room all together and that uh, like like hockey is. And you know, it's it's <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Um, I ended up coaching there for three years. I, I thought that maybe coaching was going to be uh, something that I wanted to do. Todd was uh, Todd was down in Swift Current. Um, as the coach and general manager of the Swift Current Broncos. And then when I got um, let go in, in PA, um, it was like Todd says, well, why don't come down here and, and stuff? And But at that point, you know, you have to make up, you have to start making like some adult decisions. And, you know, I we had a daughter and, and, a, and, and, and a wife and, and needed to provide for them. And we didn't want to move around. And that is, is like going back all the way back to our beginning of our interview, Joel, is that it, it was, I, I grew up in a divorced family and I didn't want that moving of my kids, you know, always having to move and coaches is that way. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and some it's, it's fine and some don't, but, we didn't want that, so we decided to stay at home. And I've been involved in the game of hockey now, and I still am. I'm still coaching kids of the U, yep. uh, the U fourteens uh, right now. I'm representing uh, the last three years. I'm coaching the U, uh, the under sixteens, the U sixteens, and representing the the province here at Team Saskatchewan. We go to the WHL Cup. Uh, every year in Calgary, and, and so you know, still very, very involved in hockey. But it's getting to that point where we're starting to to run out of gas a little yeah. bit too. <laughs> and a that, little, 
And now, you know, the fact that you're a former Raider and a Memorial Cup winning Raider, does that give you a little more cachet with maybe the kids nowadays that you're coaching there? They, obviously, they weren't even born yet when you won the Memorial Cup. But even maybe when you were, you first started coaching with Prince Albert in the mid 90s, does does being a Memorial Cup champion with the organization give you a little more cachet with the players like rather than someone who maybe never played for Prince Albert or is more of an analytics guy. Like they can look at you as a guy who not only did it, but reached the pinnacle of the, of the, of the league. No, <laughs> no, they don't. The little rats, you know, <laughs> it, the, their parents remember you. And, and yeah. even I'm getting around now to, uh, to second generations here. So I've coached the kids that are sometimes that are on my team right now. I coached their parents. (laughs) That's how long I'm starting to get around here and that, which is I'm starting to get into generations and that, but you know, they don't. And and I'll, and I remember somebody saying, um, somebody was saying from, uh, was moving into Prince Albert and was going to play with, with the Raiders. And they said, Oh my God, you've got, uh, you've got Manson going to be coaching you and stuff like that. And the kid said, Josh Manson quit hockey. <laughs> so, and you know, it was Dave that would happen to be there, you know, so yeah. the, the, the kids nowadays uh, are, are not, not the same, you know, like we, we've lost a little bit, you know, just that we're getting old and, uh, and there's a new generation out there and a new generation of kids. So, and it's fine. You know what? But in saying all that, I know that I've really had to adapt to the game. You know, and that the game has changed so much since I played. When you talk about the Prince Albert Raiders in the mid '80s to to where we are now, 21, man, I'll tell you, the game has had you've had to adapt to, to a lot of different things, different generations, millennials to uh, the way the game is. That the game has changed, uh, not only in its physicalities and all of that stuff there. Um, but just the way the the approach and the video and 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 all the other things that go along with it, uh, the, the the skills coaches, the goalie coaches, the video coaches, the it, it's it's so it's so it's so fun to be still involved in it and be able to say that I'm still a part of it and seeing all these. It's it's been re- it's been a really good ride. Well, we're going to uh, finish up here. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your son, Tyson? Uh, him and I had uh, conversed a little bit uh, via Twitter a couple years ago when I was trying to trying to get uh, back in contact with you. And I know he played in the Western League. So tell me a little bit about Tyson, the player. Uh, you know, you know, T has, has been, uh, and, you know, he, he was, I'm very proud of him. You know, we obviously we all are always proud of our kids, and that, that's something that uh, that that we know of. But you know, he he's somebody that uh, it's not always easy growing up in somebody else's uh, in somebody else's mind. You know, when you're you're I don't want to say he was in a shadow, mm-hmm. but because I played, everybody always thinks that it's easy and 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 stuff like that, and it's not and. Uh, you know, I, I think he did a really good job at finding his own way, finding his own game. And I think he was uh, he was a way better hockey player uh, th- than I was. You know, I think he has a really good temperament for the game. He understands it tremendously more than I ever did on on an analytical level, for sure. Um, 
as I said earlier on in there, I'm so thankful that he never, ever had to play the style of game that, uh, that I did. And, uh, and, and, and even though like it was, you know, he went out on the road and stuff into, into tri cities and stuff like that. And then into the college route, uh, I'm just so proud of the way that, that he did. I, I think that he'd be a fantastic coach. You know, he, he understands that part of the game. Um, but he's so smart, Joe, that it, it's, it's almost to the point where he understands that to be a coach, you're hired to be fired. And yeah. it's, you're, you're only there for a, for a short time. And it doesn't matter how good you're doing. Mike Babcock got fired. You yeah. know what? And that's, and he understands that part of it too. And that's so I, I'm more concerned, you know, over, you know, our, how well he is as a person. I think he's growing up to be a fantastic person. But as I always said, my best assistant coach ever, ever was my daughter. And she's, she was always the one that would run down to the dressing room, even when, when Tyson was out on the ice and at, at seven years old or eight or nine years old, 10 years old. And I'd say, Jesus, Tyson's got to start picking it up a little bit. Like he's not hardly skating. And my, my little daughter would be there and looking up at me and saying, she's 12, like she'd be yeah. two years older than T. And <laughs> she'd say, oh, no, dad. He's, he's the least of your problems. So <laughs> on the back end there, he's not even picking up his guys and he's not even passing the puck good. <laughs> so, she's always been my big, my biggest uh, fan. And I'll tell you what, she's, uh, she, she's been my best assistant coach. And in, in to even this year with my guys, mm-hmm. I talk about uh, that. You guys are, are really good assistant coaches, but you you don't hold the candle to Brooke. I'll tell you that. <laughs> did she, did she play at all? No, she didn't. She tries to blame me that uh, we put everything into Tyson and <laughs> wouldn't allow her to play. But she she was she was too big of a little uh, busybody there and that or around us and that. And then she was like I said that I, I have a lot of fond memories of her being around the dressing room and stuff like that too. It it makes me very proud that that we all grew up loving the game and uh, and and even my bride there and that she's. Uh, She's, we just love it and we love going to watch the kids and, and we just, we just think we have a fantastic family. Oh, I love hearing that. I mean, it's funny. You keep calling your wife, your bride. That's what I've been calling my wife since the day we got married. Uh, I, I just call her my bride all the time and everything. So it's just, uh, when I hear someone else say that, it, I, I listen, there's no, for me, there's no greater accomplishment in my eyes that I could ever do than, than be a father. And uh, it's something I've always taken pride in and I love it and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I know my family is everything to me and it sounds like you're the same way, which just uh, is awesome to me. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, Rod, we are almost, uh, we're about 10 minutes shy of three hours and uh, I, I have, I don't have any more questions for you, but the last, well, I guess I have one more question for you. Um, is there anything I forgot, uh, that I didn't know about your career that, uh, maybe you want to, you want to bring up on your own? No, you know what? No, I, I don't think so. You know, like, I mean, like I say, is it like, it's taken me this long, Joe, to, for you to finally nail me down. Cause it, honestly, I, I don't talk about myself yeah. that often, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and I steer away from a lot of even a lot of team function things here. With you know, I just it's just not my my style, and, you know. And then whatever that that's fine. But you know what? I 
I, I just want to reiterate what I said before, and 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 just to the guys that 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 made you know such nice comments and stuff about you know me that that you'd reached out to and stuff like that. You know what? We all have our stories and we all have our memories and stuff like that. And and I think it's fantastic. And I love playing with every one of them. You know, I there wasn't a day that I didn't enjoy going to the rink. I loved getting up and going and having coffee and being around the dressing room. And, and, and at times now I, I miss those tired bus trips and, and uh, not being comfortable in those, those crappy old seats. And, and I just, I, I just, you know, just wanted to make sure that everybody that, that you talked to and in the past and in the future, you know, I, I really appreciate the things that they said, you know, and even like Johnny Forslund, yeah, I, I listen to him and 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 uh, just think the world of him and, and a lot of the other guys too. I don't want to even say all the names because there's just so many of them and that. But uh, I to do a little bit of preparing for your interview. I I have it on the computer here of some of the teams that I played with and and as we're talking and I'm looking at their names and I'm just little memories pop up and and stuff like that and it, it, it's funny. You know, how people impact you that you don't realize at that time. And I just uh, I just wanted to, again, say thank you very much for everything that you did and, and what you're doing on these, these Joe. And, and if you ever need any help by any means, you know, reach out to me and I'll do what I can. Well, Rod, like I said, this is uh, your comments have been very humbling and this has been an absolute pleasure for me. And I'm you know what? I'll tell you what. It was worth the wait for sure. This was uh, this was phenomenal. I know that uh, people that are listening, I'm sure are going to enjoy it, especially the old school dub guys. Uh, probably hopefully brings back some memories for them. And I just want to say thank you again. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time we chat. Sounds very really good, Joe. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rod. Have a great night. Okay, you too, my man. Bye-bye. All right, bye now. Thanks again to Rod Dahlman for the time. Man, you know, uh, when we were chatting, I uh, I really was like, a, I was giddy just listening to his stories and then uh, listening to it again. Uh, it really just, it was just so great for me to uh, to have that opportunity to chat with Rod and, and bring his, bring the story of his career to you people. And, uh, and like I said, I hope you people enjoyed it. It really was a lot of fun for me. And uh, again, Rod, thank you so very much. It was an absolute blast. Uh, as far as next week goes, well, there's been a few, um, I've hit a few roadblocks lately. Um, I've had a few guys agree to do the show, but then they've asked me if they could postpone it. And, uh, of course I say, yes. I mean, uh, what are you going to say? No, I'm going to force you to do it. No, of course, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, these are good guys, so I know they have good reasons. And, uh, again, while it's disappointing because I'm anxious to chat with them and I'm anxious to bring you their stories, um, I understand completely why they would need to postpone. So uh, I'm going to do my best. I have a, I have uh, someone else I, I'm going to try to get a hold of this week. And uh, if that doesn't work, I have someone else I was going to try to get a hold of next week. I'll see if I can expedite either one of those and uh, have something for you next week. As of now, I don't have anything, uh, and I still owe you guys an all-time Islanders Enforcer Top 10 episode. So if things don't work out with any other human where I can actually bring you a conversation, then maybe that's what I'll do. I'll bring you the uh, the Top 10 all-time 
Islanders enforcer list as ranked by myself. So uh, there will be some content next Monday. I don't know exactly what it is at this point, but I will bring you something. Hopefully it's an interview and uh, we'll see. So uh, like I said in my intro, I hope all you moms out there have a tremendous Mother's Day. You deserve it. And uh, we're all better people for you guys. So happy Mother's Day, moms. And everybody out there, stay safe. Thank you.